Um, well, I thought what we'd do firstly is just a few housekeeping things. Um, uh, myself and Mary get quite a few emails uh, during any week, and uh, I personally find it very, very hard to reply to them. So I, lately, I haven't been replying to any. So those of you who have sent me um, an email expecting a reply, I'm sorry that I haven't been able to reply. But there's a lot going on in my life too, and I spend very, very little time now sitting in front of the computer, which is fantastic. <laughs> because uh, for 20 years I was a computer consultant, so um, it's such a relief to not spend any time in front of the computer. But I would, uh, I just wanted to say to you that I do read your emails, and the reason why I can't reply is that there's just so many of them that it's impossible for me to reply to your emails. So hopefully what we'll try to do, if you, if you, when you email me, if you do have questions, and if you can word them in such a way that we can incorporate them into the sessions that we do. And that way a lot of your questions will get answered. And not only will they get answered for you, but also for everyone else as well. You're a long way away from me, aren't you? So. <laughs> Jen, yeah. I decided to keep it Jen if it's okay in case I get really embarrassed and I need to hide behind it. I'm still working through issues around sexual shame. Red's the, red's the appropriate colour actually. Most of, us, most of us when it comes to a discussion about sex, uh, particularly if we're choosing to talk about it with our children, probably go into a sense of embarrassment at some point. Or uh, if we choose to talk about it with others, usually it has to be someone who's really, really close to us, who we're very unafraid of, and know that they are very non-judgmental before we'll actually talk openly about the subject. Today what we wanted to do, though, is present the material in a way that firstly, um, we want to present God's viewpoint about sex. And then the next the next session we do about sex, which will be not, not tomorrow, tomorrow will be a question and answer session about sex, and then uh, I think it's in April, uh, about... 25th. No, it's the week before. April the 18th here at Udlow. Uh, we'll be doing the part two of this discussion. The, this, part, this part will be um, basically focusing on God's viewpoint of sex and trying to bring ourselves in line with that viewpoint. Does that make sense? And the next part will be looking at how we go about working through all of our sexual injuries, uh, of which uh, usually the majority of us have quite a lot of them because of the terrible projections that we've got from family and so forth right from a very young age, notwithstanding the big issues with regard to sexual abuse and, and multi-generational issues regarding how women in particular have been treated with sex and how men have been demanding with sex and so forth. So there's all these different areas that we'd like to cover. And today we want to just focus primarily on the issue of how God views sex. And tomorrow's a question and answer. And uh, it'd be really good if people can come up and ask their questions, since uh, um, everyone like, will try and be really open as well. But if not, um, if you want to write down questions and uh, leave them up the front or somewhere, we could designate in the break. 
then we could try and address questions that way as well if you're feeling a bit embarrassed. Also, if there's questions during the session, what we'll try to do is first present some material and then what we'll do is at the end of each section, we'll give you the opportunity to ask questions about that material and then we'll, we'll do, go on to the next section. So that's probably how we'll handle today. Sound all right? Okay. That's good. Uh, is the radio microphones, you've got one, Tris? And it works without ringing. Turn it on for us and talk to us. Uh, channel two. There you go. And maybe if we just want to designate a place where people can leave their questions, if just up the front. Maybe. Up on top of the cabinet there, if you've got questions that you don't want to ask in public. So leave your name off it if you're going to do that. <laughs> so we'll just read out and go. Oh, Susan would like. <laughs> And then we'll say, stand up, Susan. <laughs> and we'll get, and we'll get uh, raise of a pan around <laughs> so the world can see what the issue is. <laughs> no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but, but there's no reason why this subject can't be treated in exactly the same way as every other subject that we've had to, to be treated. And so one thing I'd like to encourage you to do is be really open with your questions. And, uh, and really honest with how you feel too. So today what will be happening a bit is that you will feel, some of you will feel a sense of judgment. And so what I would like to encourage you to do if that's the case, is to really own those feelings because I, I, I'm not judging you with regard to your sexual life. What I'm just going to be presenting today and what Mary's going to be presenting today is just this, uh, this presentation is surrounding what God's viewpoints are. And remember too that God doesn't judge you either. So if you have different viewpoints, then that's up to you. And if you want to practice those things, that's up to you too. But what we want to do is be very truthful with you about these things and where they come from. So that's a really important part of this discussion. So if you find yourself getting angry, it would be really good if you just put up your hand and say, look, I'm really angry about what you just said. And just say what you feel. Do you know what I mean? And voice, that, voice those feelings and we'll talk about the underlying emotion. It's far better to do that than just to hold on to your feelings and suppress them. So if you can avoid doing that today, that'd be great. Now, um, on the natural love path, you'll be tempted to hear this information and then put it into practice without dealing with underlying emotions. So you'll be tempted to try to think differently or to try to act differently but you'll find that unless you deal with the under, underlying emotions regarding sexuality, there will be no real changes in your life at all. And the reason why is sexuality is such a core part of your soul that unless you actually change things at the soul level, it's going to be very, very difficult for your life to change. So if you can bear that in mind, changing this is about changing things at the soul level rather than the intellectual level. Not always, no. Because it's like, for example, let's say you had some sexual shame inside of yourself. Now sexual shame might dictate that you're not open during, during the sexual act. So if you just force yourself into being open, 
the changes itself, the change won't actually happen inside of you. And sex is very much connected with your emotions. And that's one of the things we want to present today. It's so connected with your emotions that unless you change at the emotional level, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to force yourself into change. How do you change the emotional Well, that's what we'll be that's what we'll be looking at in part two. So today we'll be looking at God, God's, you know, what God has created in terms of sex, and in part two we'll be looking at how you actually go about changing how you feel emotionally about it. But the basic principles of emotional processing still apply. So you, you want to feel the emotion that's being triggered. Feel it to the causal. All right, so um, we just want to do some reminders about the soul. And I'll draw. I can draw. You can draw. I've always wanted to draw this soul. Sorry. Do you want to draw this soul? Sorry. I want... You remember that God, so you draw God, is a soul. And then God's God created all these little souls of which we are a half. We're a half of these little souls. And then these little souls incarnate and separate due to the process of incarnation. Separate into two different forms. Do you remember that? <laughs> Is she doing a good job? <laughs> Alright, now these, these souls, these half of the souls, are now connected to bodies, the material body and the spiritual body. Does that make sense? Yep. So, where does sex happen? Sex happens at the soul level. So this is very important to understand. For the majority of people on earth today, sex is just happening at the physical level. For some people on earth today, sex is happening at the physical and spiritual level, but there's very few people on earth where sex is actually happening in its pure form at the soul level. Do you understand that? And the reason why is because we've shut down our soul so much that we don't finish up using our soul to be the expression. We actually use our body to be the expression, including of sexuality. So, oh, nice girls. <laughs> they got no tops on though. <laughs> and so at the soul level, what's actually happening is we want to have sex at this level. In other words, with one half of the soul with the other half of the soul. That's where God intended us to have our sexual expression. For the majority of people on earth, what we're doing is having it at the material body level. Right? We're having it just our body with somebody else's body. And because there's not huge connections with regard to the soul, and we'll talk about why later, the, the, there is, sex isn't exactly what God intended it to be. So what we want to do is talk about what God intended it to be in a minute. Now, what is the soul? Can you tell me what the soul was again? It's our emotions, passions, desires, Memories, intentions, personality, aspirations. Mention memories. Sorry? Free will, so it's got free will. Okay, so that's our soul. 
So remember, that's the level that we want to have this discussion about sex, at that level. It's actually that level that God created sex to be its most powerful. At the physical level, it's actually the least powerful. So if you think you're having fun now, just wait till you get connected at the then you really have some fun. Jen, would you like to ask a question? Is it possible to actually experience just a very small part of the soul in the sexual act? If yes. you're somebody that is, you know, you're very connected with, yes. you, know, you can sort of float in and out of it, so to speak? Yes. And this is what happens for the majority of us, actually, is that we're floating in and out of a pure connection and then back into a physical connection because of the different emotional blockages that have occurred inside of us. Does that make sense? So, so a lot of times we are actually connecting at a soul level, but it's only for moments in time. It's not all the time. And in fact, in the end, what we'll see is that God actually created us where we have our sexual expression 100% of the time. So all the time you would be in a sexual, you would have a sexual expression relationship with your soul mate, is what God intended. Which is a very... You like that idea? You like that idea, yeah. Brings up a few emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And we'll talk more about that as, as we go on today. All right. You want to say something about that? Well, I just like your definition of sexuality. It's actually soulality. Yeah. So, so can you see that we're not really talking about sexuality. We're talking about soulality or the connection that occurs at the soul level. Does that make sense? So it's like, yeah, because of course we're all attached, as he tells us all the time, if you can harness the power of your soul in the sex act, then it obviously becomes far more beautiful, more powerful, rather than just acting on those two. Yeah. And in fact, uh, if we look at it from God's perspective, God created you through a sex act. Like, so you, God actually ha had sex to create you, you could say. And all of us are therefore creations of God's, of God's desire to engage in sexual expression. And procreation is one of the results of sexual expression. It's not the only result, but it's one of the results of sexual expression. So the whole, I, the whole thing that we exist in the first place is a result of the sexual expression of God. And if you start looking around at yourself at the universe, almost every living thing you can think of has some kind of sexual expression, doesn't it? Plants, birds, animals, even very, very small living creatures all have some kind of sexual expression. Very few of them are hermaphrodites, in other words, having sex with themselves to procreate. Almost all of God's creations are actually involving more than one entity in order to create. Usually two, of course. Which is part of God's way of teaching us about what sex is about, too. Alright, so, God loves sex. Do you? <laughs> so, can you say something about, is, is God's expression then hermaphroditic or how does, how does God have sex? 
you remember that God has masculine and feminine qualities. And if you can think of it like this, at the moment you are a half of the soul. And when you have sex, you have sex with the other half of the soul. Whether it's your soulmate or not, you're, you're engaging in sexual interaction with another half of your soul, of, of a soul. Now, the two of you are sort of like a part, aren't you? Now, if you can think of God's soul as those two halves together constantly as one, then basically you start understanding what sex is for God. Does that make sense? And you will actually be in that state in the 22nd sphere, in the spirit world. In the state where you're actually having sex constantly because you are now joined with your soulmate. And so God's constantly having sex. If you could think of it that way. <laughs> you want the tangent. <laughs> do, do you feel a bit embarrassed? Don't Fire away. What would you like to ask? And there's a mic coming up. What's the giggle? Tell us that. Tony just said to me, "Well, how does he get anything else done?" <laughs> That, and this is the thing, sex is always creative. So you get lots and lots of things done when you're having sex all the time. <laughs> That's why I'm not answering him. <laughs> oh, I was embarrassed that much too, I didn't. <laughs> sexuality we often connect with that particularly guys <laughs> connect with the idea of having sex constantly right but um, to actually get to that place at a soul level rather than a physical level takes dealing with a lot of emotions and that's something that we'll talk about today in more detail without dealing with the emotion um, all we're doing is really engaging in a physical act rather than actually a soul act and a lot of times today, our desire for sex is often um, based around injuries. And we'll, come, we'll look at that, how that's based around injuries many times. And, and how we can actually remove those injuries from ourselves so that we can actually engage sexually with our soulmate permanently. But it won't be always physically, if that makes sense. It'll be an exchange of sexual energy cycling through yourself and your soulmate constantly, but it won't always have a physical expression. And there's often that misunderstanding. Well, I, I, when I felt these things, 
it felt like it was much deeper than the physical. Exactly. And yeah. and I've had periods of my life when I felt extremely connected to humanity. Yeah. And and I felt a sense of oneness and and I loved everyone. Yeah. And and I wanted it to be on all levels and it, it's impossible to do it on the physical with everyone. Exactly. And, and it becomes very problematic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we usually have a lot of diseases associated with <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so a few things to remember at incarnation. At incarnation, these souls, of which you were one before you came to earth, did not have a self-awareness. At that time, you also did not have a sexual identity. You didn't realize your own self, and you didn't realize yourself as an individual. You also didn't know yourself as a half of a soul, right? At that particular point when you incarnated, unless your parents knew, you, knew that there were soulmates. Now, because most parents on Earth have no idea about soulmates, of course, they never consider that there is perhaps a soulmate. And so that emotion doesn't flow through them, so it can't flow through you once you incarnate. So when we separate from our soul mate during the process of incarnation, the time, at the time of separation, there is no knowledge of that separation. There is no consciousness of that separation. It is only after the separation occurs and when we start to be individualized, when it, in other words, when we come to Earth, that we start having a consciousness of ourselves. So it's very important to understand that there is no consciousness of the soul separation in the soul half when it first incarnates. And there's a very good reason why that's the case. Because if, if, if it was conscious of it, it would actually go through many terrible emotions right at that point, before it even incarnated. Does that make sense? So to incarnate from a not unconscious state Remember, the soul still has personality, but is unconscious of itself. When it incarnates, that's the process of creating consciousness of itself. In other words, the process of incarnation is essential for you learning that you're an individual and can exercise your free will. But after a while, you start learning, actually, that you want to connect to one other person, and you want to have this other connection. And that's when you start developing this longing inside of yourself that starts growing for a soulmate. Does that make sense? Now the reason why I'm bringing up soulmates in this sex and sexuality discussion is because in the end, God intended that you have sex with your soulmate. And in the end, God in fact intends if you progress spiritually through all the spheres of the seven spheres and then you go above that to the 21st sphere, and eventually you go into a soul union state where you reunite with your soulmate on every level. And in that level, you are one soul again. You're not two separate beings. You are one soul that can express itself however it desires. I can speak loud. Oh, it's just that if you don't speak through the mic, then we don't get it recorded, that's it. Um, do many people find their soulmate on Earth and many people find their soulmate on earth but often do not have a soul a soulmate relationship with their soulmate the reason why is a soulmate relationship is dependent 
upon you having a pure emotional condition. All of your masculine and feminine injuries need to be released in order for you to have a pure connection with the soulmate. So for that reason, most people even who meet their soulmate on Earth never have a soulmate relationship on Earth. And most people in the spirit world have never had a soulmate relationship until they reach the first celestial sphere, which is the eighth sphere of progression. Most people never experience a soulmate relationship until then. That's not very nice, like, well, well, we can. We can do it here, and that's why I want to show you all of this, so that you can do it all here. Does that make sense? Is it possible for us is it possible for us to have more than one soulmate in this scenario? And how does that play on the twin flame? Uh, when we talk about soulmates, we're talking about twin flames. Basically, it's the same thing. Um, there is not, there, there is a common concept today that you can have more than one soulmate, but you can only have one twin flame. What I'm saying is that so, the world's concept of soulmate, the new age concept of soulmate, is really about law of attraction attractions. And that's not what I'm talking about when we're talking about soulmate. What we're talking about when we talk about soulmates is the twin flame type of connection where there is only one. There is only one soulmate for each one of you. Who feels that's a pretty bad deal? Some of you probably feel that's a bad deal. Right? The reason why is because a lot of times we have emotions like, oh, I want to choose who that is. But the choice, the choice has actually already been made for you. It's just a matter of you coming to recognise it. In other words, God created your, you, yourself and your soulmate as one entity. Who will be your perfect partner once you deal with all of your emotional injuries. Yeah. So it's actually a good system. <laughs> I still have some emotions about it to deal with myself. So. Mary, you asked Mike, wasn't saying it was a good system. That's why I actually... <laughs> <laughs> because last night the whole thing was slightly different than that, I can assure you. <laughs> last night it was more like, you know, how come you're my soulmate kind of thing. <laughs> I think I was unhappy with our entire soul. It wasn't it was all the identities and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. It wasn't really that. No, she, she was unhappy with her soulmate being Jesus, basically, that's the deal. <laughs> and, uh, and and you being Mary. But you are Mary. She's Mary Luck, so she's a Mary of the time. <laughs> anyway, I just want to draw another picture. <laughs> um, if you have any feelings of anger or rage or uh, those kind of emotions, towards a male or a female. So in other words, if you have any intergender emotional injuries, you'll find that a soul-mate connection can't really be attracted, or if it is attracted, it won't happen until you release those injuries. You'll also find that you can't grow spiritually to at one while you have those injuries. So remember, we have the spheres of progression, right? So. So this was the transition 
between the seventh and the eighth sphere was the transition of one-ment with God. So at this point, we're at one with God. Now, of course, there's spheres above that. Remember, these are dimensional spaces. Remember, at this point, the sixth sphere is the highest we can grow in natural love. The sixth sphere was that highest point. So remember those things from our introduction? Yep. Now, if we're growing in love, it makes sense, doesn't it, that as we grow in love, we must also be growing in our relationship, whoever we're having a relationship with in love. So the more we reflect love as a, in our partnership, the closer that we will get together. But if we do not progress in divine love, and remember the seventh sphere and above, we can't get to them without having divine love in our soul, right? So if we don't progress in our relationship with God, then I can't also progress in my relationship with my soulmate. Do you follow that? Not at a soul level. Not at a soul level. So we can have a sexual relationship, and we can even have a very good sexual relationship at this point where we're at one, uh, sorry, when we're um, perfected in natural love, we can have quite a good relationship between each other. But we will not be at one with each other, nor will we have the prospect of being at one with each other until we progress in divine love. So in other words, unless you choose to receive divine love, you will never ever be able to be also at one with your soulmate. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah? It's a very important thing to understand. That unless you put your relationship with God first, you will never get to be at one with your soulmate. So I'm going to say that again, actually. Unless you put your relationship with God first, you will never get to be at one with your soulmate. Does everyone get that? It's really important to understand that at the soul level. Now, God designed it that way so that you would have, when you had a soulmate relationship, it could be that it would grow at infinitum. So as you're receiving divine love, you can receive more and more divine love that will, and you can continue receiving divine love all of your existence. So there is a never-ending supply of divine love which you can receive and grow in. Now, as you grow in that, you then also, as a part of that, grow towards your soulmate. The two of you start becoming one again, in a conscious way, not in an unconscious way. Is it worth pointing out as well that while when we incarnate as halves of a soul, we don't have a consciousness of ourselves even as half of a soul or that we have a soulmate, but there is a law of attraction that exists between the two halves of the soul. And as we actually develop in love ourselves, that law of attraction actually strengthens and heightens. So in fact, even if we just focus on our relationship with God and clearing our emotional injuries, we will attract our soulmate. Yeah. So everyone follows that? So down the bottom here, here's our souls totally disconnected from each other in different bodies. And when I say totally, they're not totally ever totally disconnected. There is a flow of energy that flows between yourself and your soulmate from the moment you incarnate. 
It's just that you're not aware of it. And so it feels like you don't have a relationship with your soulmate at that point. Does that make sense? And then as you start growing in love, growing towards God in love, each new growth you make actually brings you closer together to your soulmate, as Mary just said. Until eventually, way, way up above the 8th sphere and the 22nd sphere, you actually combine as one again. So, if we think about sex, obviously the sexual relationship gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer until we become one in that as well. Does that make sense, Deborah? So that's what we have to look forward to with our spiritual growth. Now, is there any questions about that? Um, down the front here, Tris. <coughs> Not so much a uh, question, but the last card in the tarot cards, the major, is an, an aphrodite. Esoterically, they say that's where we are. <coughs> but yeah. It must be that point. Yeah, but that and um, yeah, but um, the tarot cards, remember, come from a sixth-year spirit, though, trying to depict that location, and so they are the way they are actually feeling about it inside of themselves. The sixth-year spirit, when they gave the tarot cards, was that you would become sort of like a, passion a passionless, desireless being. Similar to how is often portrayed, a, a, that a Buddhist may portray to you. Feel, being in a state of nirvana, but actually not, being, not having desires anymore, detuning from desires. So while the tarot does actually reflect some of these principles, it's not the same kind of thing of what I'm describing. What I'm describing is at that point, at the 22nd sphere point, you will be full of desire and all of your desires will be harmonious with divine love. You won't be void of desire and therefore insular from desire. You will be full of passion and desire. But all those desires will be completely in harmony with the laws of natural love and the laws of divine love. Does that make sense? So don't feel it's the same thing as becoming, like this point of Nirvana, which is actually the sixth year location, is not the location that we're describing here. Any other? Jen, at the back? Jen, down the front. So if I'm doing this work, and my soulmate all of a sudden thinks, my God, I've got to go to the Sunshine Coast for some unknown reason. Um, and we meet, but they're nowhere near even thinking about becoming one with God. How does that happen for them? Is it as simple as I heard about you and that's how I started? Or is it through me that they start to, they just think, wow, I've got to start thinking another way or acting another way. I'm a bit confused about that one. Well, what happens is as, you're, as you grow in love, your law of attraction changes exponentially. So if you can think of your law of attraction like a magnet. So you imagine the magnet 
like each time you grow in love, the magnet that is your law of attraction for your soul mate grows exponentially, 10 times every time you grow into a new sphere of love, right? So you imagine if you've grown to the third sphere of love, you now have a hundred times stronger law of attraction with regard to your soulmate than you had when you're in the first sphere. Does that make sense? Now, after a while, the soulmate, even though they might not be consciously aware that this is occurring, they will just feel automatically drawn into your sphere wherever you are. So you might be in a totally different country, but they'll be drawn to coming to that country. You know, that's the way God designed it. Now, if you grow in love to a greater extent again, now you've got a thousand times law of attraction. Now, imagine, like, your soulmate's going to be really struggling now to actually avoid yes. going. <laughs> Much to Mary's consternation, this is what happened. And uh, so, so for, say, for a period, for, for myself, for a period over five years, I started working through soulmate issues, start grieving a lot of soulmate type grief that I had, started working through all of these issues. The more and more I worked through the issues, the more drawn I was to come to Queensland. And after a while, I actually knew that my soulmate was in Queensland. And then when I got to Queensland and dealt with more issues, I actually knew my soulmate was overseas. I hadn't met her, but I knew she was born here in Queensland or something like that. And I knew somehow there was a link to Queensland. So, so that's why I came to Queensland. Thanks, Mary. <laughs> you got hurt. All because of me. You got, you got her to blame for me being in your life. <laughs> so every one of you get angry at me. You get angry at me. <laughs> but, but this is what happened. And, and uh, as, as I grew in terms of the expression of love, I, I could feel her more and more, I could feel her emotions more, I could feel her qualities even more, without having met her yet. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that just grew and grew and grew, until eventually the attraction was so strong that she couldn't avoid it, even though she didn't know that's what was happening. And that's what will happen with you with your soulmate if you continue to grow in love yourself. Yeah. Um, oh, I asked for Jen next to time. So my question is um, about celibacy and chastity. Yep. Why are those worldly um, principles, if you like, portrayed as spiritual growth? Like portrayed as important to spiritual growth. Yeah. yeah. So the two qualities were chastity and celibacy. celibacy. Now let's look at celibacy first. And it has been commonly thought that if you're celibate, that you will get close to God better than any other time. Now, the reason why this is often the case is because when we're not celibate, we're often so focused on the physical act of sexuality or, or of sex that we become devoid of spirituality in the process. In other words, sexuality and the expression of sexuality becomes just a totally emotionally driven and emotionally injury driven process. Now, because of that, obviously, many people historically have recommended celibacy to get out of that cycle. And I don't recommend it myself. Um, I've had periods of life of my life where I've been celibate, and I've chosen that for reasons, and we'll talk about that a little later. But 
And celibacy isn't necessarily going to bring you closer to God. In fact, unless you deal with your injuries towards the opposite sex and accept yourself as a sexual being as part of it, sexuality being an integral part of your identity, you'd never be at one with God anyway, because you're in denial of a part of yourself. So that then can't be a vehicle to, say, a pure heart state. No. It's an avoidance. Yes, it's an avoidance. So there are many people at the natural love pinnacle, which is the sixth sphere, who do not engage in sexual activity at all. So they're in the spirit world, in the sixth sphere, and they do not have anything to do with sex because they believe with all their heart that that's the only way for them to be connected to God. Of course, they deny quite a lot in that process. The fact, the fact that we have sex organs in both the physical body and the spirit body proves, in fact, that God created sexuality to be a part of this process. But they don't think of that, though. But they, they, they've been taught over and over that you've got to be pure, you know, you've got to be... And they then say purity can't be had if you're involved with sex. So therefore, the teaching of celibacy for sex is the experience. Yep. Is, is not... It's not the pathway, it's not, it's not the end. No, it'll, it, it'll help them remain in the sixth sphere and they'll have a lot of bliss in their life, but they will not experience the complete bliss that occurs with the soul union ever until they recognise the difference. And a lot of soul damage does happen because people are driven by soul, uh, by sexual injuries, but that's some, so they can minimise their soul damage by not being driven by those injuries, but in the end they need to deal with the injuries. So a person who's celibate often still has sexual injuries inside of themselves. They're just not expressing them, right? And they're just not feeling them. They've detuned from them. But they often still have them inside of themselves. And the only way you're ever going to be at one with God is by removing all injuries, including our sexual injuries, from inside of ourselves at the causal level. So now is the law of chastity in a religious sense that's advocated in, you know, in the world or in, in, the, in the belief systems, is that then have the same result? When you say the law of chastity, if I sort of define it a little for everyone, more that, more, it's more depicting that promiscuity is an error. So in other words, so the reason why the law of chastity was created as a moral law to help people progress spiritually is that it was to remind people that actually promiscuity is actually going to cause you soul damage. And that is true. Promiscuity does cause you soul damage. So we'll talk about that in a minute, just, just all the different types of damages that occur at the soul level. And promiscuity is certainly one of them. So the law of chastity can certainly help you right, remain free of those, of those soul damages that, that occur through promiscuity. But, like I said in the first century, if you long for a woman in your heart that's not your wife or not your partner, you've already committed adultery in your heart anyway. Alright? So the truth is that you can actually be living a life of chastity, and many who are doing it religiously are doing this, they live a life of chastity, and every night they have all of these dreams about, you know, and how you know they'd like to be with this person, like to be with that person, and they probably masturbate in front of pictures of different people with pornography or whatever, but still staying so-called chaste. 
But at the soul level, the damage is there already, the sexual damage is there already that needs to be worked through anyway. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it's pointless, like, living any law, whatever the laws are, it's pointless living it here if you're not feeling it in your soul. And that applies to the law of chastity. If you feel like going out and having sex with a hundred women, right, it's pointless you not addressing that issue at the soul level and just, and just being chaste or being celibate to get over that issue. Because in the end, the issue remains within you. And, the, and this is all about dealing with all the issues that remain within us. Any other questions? So, what's God's perspective? God created sex for your enjoyment. That's first. It's pretty obvious that it's not just for procreation. If you look at the design of a man's body and the design of a woman's body, a man can come to orgasm without penetrating the woman, and a woman can come to orgasm without being penetrated. So therefore, sex isn't just for procreation. Agreed? It's got to be for other purposes. Now, if we have injuries with regard to sexuality and we have injuries with regard to sex itself, that is going to prevent us from becoming at one with God. Do we understand that? So how many of you before have thought, oh, this sex issue, I can just avoid it. Like, I can get around it, I can sort of manoeuvre it. How many of you have felt like you really don't like sex at all? How many feel that way that you really don't like sex at all? Just a few? Okay. How many of you feel like sex is good, but, but you didn't realise that, that if you had an injury regarding it, you would never get to be at one with God? So how many of us realise it? So that's the majority. Okay. So this is a truth of God, that while we have an injury with regarding sex, we have an injury in our relationship with God. So we need to look at the types of injuries we might have. Does that make sense? And, uh, and examine them a bit more closely. So, you notice in the section, God's, uh, this section, sexuality from God's perspective, there's a few little things I'd like to discuss, though, with regard what is basic sexuality. Remember, in our introductory sessions, that we drew the soul thus, the two halves of the soul, right? And we said that those two halves, when they split, could turn out to have a male body on both sides, or a female body on one side. So basically, each half could be connected to a male or a female body. Does that make sense? Now, if the soul itself, the whole combined soul, is dominantly feminine in nature, when it splits, it will attract two feminine bodies. So that is what you would call nowadays on Earth, a sex, in terms of a sexual relationship, a lesbian relationship, right? It could also, if it was dominantly masculine, the entire soul, when it splits, it would split into two male bodies, which is what on Earth you would call a homosexual relationship. Right? Or a gay relationship. 
Then there's the split where if, it, if it's a mixture of masculine and feminine, when it splits, it was split into a male body and a female body. All right? Now that obviously would be sexually a heterosexual relationship, agreed? So can you see that actually there is no bisexuality in that? So bisexuality, the feeling inside of ourselves that we're attracted to both males and females, sexually attracted to both males and females, comes from soul injuries within us. And by the way, they don't come from our own soul injuries. It comes from soul injuries within our parents, not within ourselves, generally. You'll also... Um, now, that is quite controversial to say, right? For a lot of people. A lot of people will find that quite controversial. Hey, can you give an example of what you mean? Um, well, let, let's illustrate it from a soul perspective first. If this is a male, if this is a dominantly masculine soul, and this is a dominantly, uh, so the dominantly masculine combined soul I'm talking, then it's going to split into two male bodies. Right? So that's one possibility. If it's a dominantly feminine soul, this will be feminine and this will be mostly feminine, so it will split into two female bodies. Right? The alternative is if, if it's a sort of half-half, if you like, male-female, then one half will be male, one half will be female, and one side will be male and one side will be female. But you notice in each case there is no, there's, there's not an attraction to two genders. So any attraction that develops within us to both genders comes from emotional injuries within our parents generally. And it's to do with their emotional injuries regarding sexuality in most cases. Well, let's look at bisexuality. If, if a person is bisexual, that means they have an attraction, sexual attraction, to men and women. And this is concurrent sexual attraction, is it not? A sexual attraction to men and a sexual attraction to women at the same time. It exists within them at the same time. Now, if we're only a half of a soul, is that actually possible at the soul level? So, if it's not possible at the soul level, and it's happening at the physical level, the only answer can be that there has to be due to emotional injuries occurring inside of the soul. But if we're at one with your soul? When you say at one with your soul, what do you mean? Well, if you have a soul mate, you're at one. Well, that's the 20 seconds fear state. You, the, soul, the soul isn't made to have sexual relationships with other souls. It's made to have a sexual relationship with itself. This is what I'm saying. I know it's highly confrontational, but it's exactly what I'm saying about God's truth. So, what I'm saying is from God's perspective, God created the two soul halves to eventually merge into one. Now, if the two soul halves emerge into one, they will not even desire a sexual relationship with another entity. Do you follow me? And 
And so if we desire a sexual relationship with multiple partners, we need to look very strongly at the emotional injuries within us that would actually cause us to do that. And usually it's deep levels of dissatisfaction in us regarding each relationship. But there might be many, many types of injuries associated with that. You were going to say something? I was just going to point out, it's similar to, um, like each half of the soul has its innate um, sexual identity and attraction. Um, but often throughout life, as a result of different injuries, emo sexual, emotional injuries, that um, sexual um, preference, if you like, can be tainted. So there, there are people on earth today living as homosexuals who actually have heterosexual um, soul qualities and there are actually people who are living as heterosexuals who in their pristine state are actually a homosexual soul, if that makes sense. So for me the issue of bisexuality falls very much in that similar category. There's an injury or a confusion around sexual identity that um, is causing the confusion. Yeah. And I, let me give you an example of this. Like, a few years ago, I had a chat with, a spirit, with some spirits that had passed. It was a male and a female spirit who came to me. And they wanted to talk because the, the male spirit was in the first sphere, but he was in quite a high condition in the first sphere. And the female spirit was in a low condition. She was in one of the hells of the first sphere. They had been married when they were on earth. So what had happened is the male the male spirit had passed first, right? So what had happened is he had, he had passed, he had died and passed, and then five years later his wife died and passed. And two years after that they came to speak with me. So that the male had been passed seven years now, and the female for two years. Now the reason why they came to me was because they wanted to know the male was trying to help the female spirit to get her into a better condition so that they could both live together. In other words, they wanted to continue their husband and wife relationship that they had while they were on earth in the spirit world. And the female spirit was getting very angry with the male spirit, right? And the reason why is the male spirit was living in a higher place that was more beautiful, and she kept on saying, why can't you take me there? Right? Why can't I can't be there with you? And he was saying, well, you can't. You know, they tried, they tried to make it happen. They couldn't make it happen. It was too painful for her. And so in the end, she was consigned to living in this, in this hellish place. And he, was, and he lived in this higher first sphere state near Summerland. And he then, uh, he then, she then said to him, well, why don't you come and live with me? Well, would you want to? <laughs> You know, would you want to go and live in the hell with somebody uh, if you already were living in a place that was quite pretty and nice? Well, obviously, he didn't want to do that either. And that was one of the reasons why she was quite angry. Anyway, both of them came to me and started talking about their situation, how they could get out of the situation. The specific question that they asked was the, the lady wanted to know how she could be in the same place as the man was in. Then I described this thing called, remember I talk about it quite often, called soul condition. So I talked to them about soul condition, what soul condition was. Now soul condition is a 
reflection of all of your emotions and how harmonious they are with natural love or divine love. And I said to her that she had a poorer soul condition than her mate, than the man. And the reason why she had was while they were on earth, she dominated the relationship. So in other words, all of her life together with him on earth, she was constantly pressuring him to do things which he went ahead and did. And he eventually was very oppressed by the relationship. So he passed, and then she passed, and she still expected to oppress him in the spirit world as well. Right? She wanted to keep that going. So I talked to her about her soul condition. Now she wasn't very interested in that at all. She was quite dismissive. How can that be? You know, she was questioning, she was criticizing me, being occasionally sarcastic with me as well. And, but the man was very interested. So the man asked more questions. And then I started talking about soulmates. And it turned out that the man, within a very short space of time, started realizing that maybe his wife wasn't his soulmate. And as soon as he started feeling that, his wife felt the whole soulmate issue herself, even though she was in the hills, and she immediately attracted her soulmate, who came to her, who happened to also be in the hills. And they just went off. They didn't bother talking to me anymore. That was the end of our conversation. They just went off, and he wasn't with her anymore from that moment, right? And then he started, we started talking about soul mates with him. And I felt that his soul was actually a gay soul. It was, his, his soul mate was male. And once we started talking about all that, he knew who that was. And he straight away started resolving some of these sexual injuries within himself. So he was living in a heterosexual relationship all of his life on earth and for two years in the spirit world after his wife joined him as well. And yet after all of that, all it required was one discussion about his feelings about sexuality and he realised that actually he was gay. Now that happens all the time in the spirit world where people on earth have lived in heterosexual relationships due to emotional pressures of all different types and yet when they've passed in the spirit world, realised that actually they were gay. Louise? Can we wait for the mic? person who ever realises their soulmate at some point is disappointed with the choice God has made. Um, <laughs> I don't um, the reason why is many fold. So it's all to do with the emotions. So a lot of times in the spirit world you could introduce a soulmate couple and they'll take one look at each other and say, nah, that can't be my soulmate. And they'll go off for another 50 years and have other relationships and then come back 50 years later realising that that person probably is their soulmate. And this happens not just because of sexuality. It happens because of all sorts of emotions within the soul. You know, what we expect, what we expect them to look like, what condition we expect them to be in, and all sorts of things. When you think about it today, 
if you, you get most women making a list on the internet, right? You, who have you done internet dating? I have, so you can lay out and put up your hand. Yeah, see, more people than me. But I did internet dating, and you know, you start describing yourself, right? So you describe, you know, how, how, and all of it's physical, isn't it? Most of it. You know, you're this whole, you're this, you're this. Then you start talking about your likes and your dislikes, but very little of that is your soul. Alright? And so the majority of people are only attracted to other people based on common likes, common dislikes, uh, in terms of physical attractiveness and all these other aspects. But very little of those are actually based around the soul, what's really going on at the soul level. And so for that reason, when people pass in the spirit world and meet their soulmate, they look at their soulmate and go, that's not what I expected, you know? Without any further ado, dismissing the whole thing and going off with another person, and then coming back many, many years later, sometimes centuries later, realising that that person was actually the soulmate. And this happens all the time. So yes, many people in the spirit world meet their soulmates and are very disappointed. Can you imagine if you were, uh, if you were a, uh, if you were not developed in love, and somebody came along and said, "Look, I'll take you to see your soulmate," and this is in the spirit world, and so they grab your hand and they take you down to the hills, down, down, down into the hills, right? Way, way, way down, and this has actually happened to some of my friends in the spirit world way, 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 way down, almost to the bottom of the hills, and there's this terrible, ugly thing, right? literally, like just laying on the ground in this terrible amount of pain, and then they say, oh, that's your soulmate. <laughs> you imagine that? Would you be very impressed? <laughs> and some, some people feel quite angry with God that that's the way it is and all sorts. This is what actually happened to quite a number of people historically with a had soulmates that have been in terrible conditions. So a soulmate is not necessarily what you are going to be physically attracted to. But if you open up your soul, you will find a huge attraction at the soul level. And then as that attraction grows, you will find as they grow in love, they become more physically attractive anyway. So in the spirit world, by the time you get to the second sphere, you're actually looking pretty good, right? All of those, you know, big, you know, big terrible, destructive looking, yeah, what would you call it? It's just terrible. And this ugly looking face gets transformed into someone that's about 40 or 45 looking. And by the time they're in the third sphere, it's about 30. By the time you're in the fourth sphere or fifth sphere, it's about in the late 20s. By the time you hit the sixth fit, you're all about 25, right? In terms of the way you look. And everyone's got nice bodies, you know? Everyone's built. And, uh, and so you're more and more attractive. Of course, it's not very important because everyone's like that. So you imagine walking down the beach. You know, at the moment, you walk down the beach and there's a guy there with, you know, good abs and big shoulders. He's walking around like... <laughs> showing himself off a bit. Or there's a girl there, you know, just wiggling her hips and legs. And, and, and she's, she knows she's the most beautiful thing on the beach, right? In the spirit world, imagine that every single person on the beach looks like that. So in the third sphere, that's what it's like. Every single person on the beach looks like that. So would you start looking at how they look? No. You start looking at deeper qualities, don't you? And this is what the soul attraction is all about. 
looking at the deeper qualities. Does that make sense? So understand that what you're seeing physically is a very, very minor, minor part of attraction. And we'll talk about attraction a little in a minute. Have we covered all of that information though? Because that's really important. Have we done that? Pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. We've covered most of that. All right, question up the back there. And remember that each half of the soul is exercising its own free will. So while you're here on earth, you can independently, as a half of your soul, exercise free will independently from your soul mate, which actually means that you can make choices independent from their, what they would like you to make. And uh, the result of that, of course, is if those choices are disharmonious with love, your soul condition just keeps on going into a more degrading state. And as your soul condition goes into a more degrading state, so does your physical form and your spirit body form. So there's many people who pass over into the spirit world who come and tell you, I'm fine. In reality, they have very, very poor-looking spirit bodies and they're very disappointed, but they don't know what else to say other than, I'm still alive and I'm fine. To you. Does that make sense? And there's lots of spirits here in that position at the moment who, who are listening to this. They're in this terrible condition from a physical point of view. They're wanting to have sex, but they don't, you know, they can, it, sex is a dim, dark memory for them, for many of them, because they're so ugly that they can't even bring themselves to look at another person, let alone have sex with them. Do you follow me? So there's a lot of that going on in the spirit world in the hells or in the first sphere of the spirit world. And it's all to do with this thing called soul condition. As a soul condition, the choices that we make on earth, as we make those choices, if the choices are in disharmony with love, our soul condition degrades, and we can do that independently of what our soul mate is doing. Does that make sense? So, just say, like, someone's in 20 seconds fear, right? Yep. And, so, and their soul mate's like, dark nothing, and they're like, in the first fear, wouldn't it? Yes, just with one proviso though, you can't get into the 20 second sphere state without your soulmate in the same state. So any, any, any state under that, the 21st sphere and under, what you're saying is dead, dead right. The, the whole part, the beautiful part about soulmates is if one half of the soulmate grows in love, the other half of the soulmate feels a stronger and stronger attraction to them, whether they're in the hells or in not very good condition or not. So this is why it's so important to focus firstly on your relationship with God. And if they were in that high like, position, they wouldn't even like attract their soulmate sort of thing because their soulmate's so low. Like, they, you know what I mean? It wouldn't even, the law of attraction wouldn't even bring them together. No, the law of attraction does bring them together. Most of the time, the the spirit who's in the higher location knows who their soulmate is way before the spirit in the lower location knows. So they're often praying for them and trying to help them and they're waiting for them to get into a certain condition before they physically help them. So the likelihood of a soulmate couple being in the first and 21st sphere is highly unlikely? Yeah, very unlikely. I was just yeah, most of the time, if, if, a, if the soulmate enters the abundant state, 
there is such an attraction for the other half of the soul to, to be with them. And, this, and by that stage, the person in the abundant state knows who their soulmate is for certain. So they are constantly trying to assist them anyway. So it's highly unlikely that that would continue as the person's growing and going into higher states in higher dimensions. There's a really nice pageant message from Nero. Um, have you mentioned that before? Yeah, I have, but not, yeah. not recently. It's just about him, his soulmate coming to find him in the hells and helping him. It's nice. Yeah. That's a good message. So Nero, you've heard of Nero? Uh, a Roman, a Roman emperor. Um, my suggestion is to read that message because it describes how soulmates can help each other in the spirit world. And here on earth, probably. Um, there's only three or four messages of, from Nero in the entire page of messages. So if you've got the CD wrong, just hit, like enter find Nero. Yeah. Um, I was trying that last night and I was searching I, my whole hard drive. I think it's in book three. Okay, so if you open book three um, and do a search in book three for Nero, I think you'll find it. You've sent it out. I have sent it out once, but it was a while ago, yeah. Um, Jen, thanks. So is it God who decides how soulmates split and... Um, in that split, um, of, in regards to sexuality, can there be, for want of a better way of putting it, an imbalance between sexual expression and non-sexual expression? And first question is, does God create the, the split? Yes, God creates the how the soul splits. And the soul splits every single time the same way. So if the soul reincarnates, it splits in the same way. Not with the same memories, but in the same way the soul splits every single time. It's sort of like you can think of the whole soul with a little crack down the middle. A bit like a seed. You know how when you get a seed like an almond out of a pod and you can pry the two halves of the almond apart? So it's one almond, but you can pry the two apart and they just fit together just perfectly. So equal amounts of sexuality and sexual potential in each heart. Yes. And so if one has a on earth has a more dominant and the other one a more sub submissive role, that is due to emotional injuries. Does that make sense? And so it's a matter of dealing with those emotional injuries. It's, so many of us would like to believe that I, oh, you know, there's some I've heard say, you know, oh, sex once a month is often enough for me. Right? How many of you have felt that in the past at some point? I had sex once at five years, so that I have to put myself up. Now, that's only because of something you're working through from an emotional perspective. This is not withstanding choices you might make, of course. The truth is that God created this sexual expression as a, to be highly intense for both halves. And in fact, once the two halves actually deal with their injuries, the two halves will have the same intensity of sexual expression. And that can vary? That will vary from complete soul to complete soul, yes. But it will not vary for the two halves. So in other words, my desire for sexual expression and Mary's desire for sexual expression will be identical once we've both dealt with all of our sexual injuries. Does that make sense? Your soul union will be different to my soul Yes. 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's some souls that don't have as strong a, as strong a desire for each other as other souls, but that's just because. But their desire for each other is identical. And the desire, by the way, for each other does grow as you receive divine love. So the soul expands, so your desires expand as well. Um, why aren't they both the same age? Why, on earth, you mean, why From a soul perspective, they're the same age. In terms of a physical body perspective, they can be all sorts of ages, usually, you know, usually within 20 years of, of each other, but they can be even further. And that's totally dependent on lots of lots and lots of environmental factors. And it's all to do with the laws of attraction of parents and personalities and all sorts of law of attraction events that control when one half of the soul incarnates and when the other half of the soul incarnates. So the key is to not get hung up on age. In the end, you'll all look 25 anyway. So... <laughs> so you'll never get too old for sex. You'll never get too old for sex. Yes, yes, obviously almost every soul mate who has been aborted or miscarried never spends much time here on earth, but their soul mate may live a full life on earth and never meet their soul mate because of the abortion or the miscarriage. So yes, there are times, and obviously there's, what, 50 million abortions every year. So there's 50 million soulmates every single year who don't get to spend time with their soulmate on earth. Alright? So this is part of, the problem, part of the problem with abortion, for example, is you're not only taking away the free will of the child you just aborted, you're taking away the free will of its partner too, you know, to a large degree. So that's why it's such a serious thing. Does that make sense? But as you develop in love, the law of attraction still works. So even if your soulmate is, has passed, they'll still be attracted to you, if that makes sense. So what you'll find is that many people who have passed, uh, maybe aborted or miscarried on earth or died very young on earth, never met their soulmate on earth, they progress to the third or fourth or fifth sphere, and by that stage they usually know who their soulmate is on earth, and from that moment on, they spend heaps of time with that person. Now they spend heaps of time with you in your awake state, but when you're in your sleep state, they try and meet up with you and spend time with you in your sleep state as well. Does that make sense? And in the end, you can have a seamless relationship with them, in the sense that you can have a permanent relationship with a spirit, and it can be also be a sexual relationship. But it just depends on you developing your soul condition. And very few people on earth do that, of course, because they want physical touch or they want that, you know, those kind of expressions. And so they don't, you know, they'd rather go for an earth-based relationship rather than that kind of a relationship. But it is possible. When you pass from where we are now and go into the spirit world, yep. so if a body is aborted and goes into the spirit world, what form are they in the spirit world? Dari, you mentioned before that we're like we are now. No, no, they're a little baby yeah. and they grow, uh, they're nursed in the summer land by, by um, by a, usually a celestial spirit, 
and they're actually taught many beautiful things. By the time they're three or four years of age, they know a lot more than what we do here on Earth by the time we're 70, generally. And, uh, and they have a very full existence and life, and they're loved very much. And they are offered the, the two paths of progression as well, the natural love path or the divine love path. But they're never forced to make a choice between. They just make their own choices. As to how fast their physical body grows, well, that's totally dependent upon their own desire. So their physical body grows as, as they desire it to grow. Okay. Um, when you're, you start talking about age equal between couples, when, when a, a soul is split in the two halves, yep. that happens when a child is born? Is that right? They, no, at, at, at conception. Conception, sorry. Yep. So when that soul splits into two, it immediately goes into two conception like be Not immediately, babies. no. You'll have one go into one and the other will hover in the spirit in the spirit state, waiting for a chance to incarnate nearby where the first one incarnated generally. Okay, that's fine, well there could be a, an age difference. And often there might be an age difference. Soulmates. There will be an age difference between soulmates, always. Uh, they don't ever generally incarnate into, say, twins or something like that. That would be a highly rare occasion. I've never seen that occur. But uh, one, the first one will incarnate, the second one w hovers around the first waiting for incarnation and then incarnates. And that difference in years, Earth time might be 20 years. Of course, the one left behind doesn't notice the difference in time because they're not conscious of themselves yet and they're not conscious of time. Uh, Peter, thanks. You were saying that uh, a child gets a choice to uh, to go on the natural love path or the divine love path. In the spirit world, yep. It's hard to understand for me why someone would choose the natural love path when the implications for the divine love path are so awesome. This is a recurring question we do, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> why would anyone choose the natural love path? Is it the people who are uh, presenting the opportunities in the spirit world not very good salespeople? <laughs> <laughs> there lies the emotional injury. <laughs> um, in the spirit world, you are never forced into making a choice. You make your own choices. And this is something that's paramount. Uh, a celestial spirit understands this more than anyone. And so a celestial spirit never is a salesperson. They present the two choices and they present the advantages to the person. But you see, a child is also influenced by their, by their siblings on Earth. They're, they're influenced by their parents' emotions if, if their parents are still on Earth. And they're influenced by their parents' emotions if their parents have passed. So there is a, a large variety of influences on that child that's being nursed by a celestial spirit besides the celestial spirit themselves. And it's those influences often that determine what choices the child makes initially. So for example, if all of the child's mates are all on the natural love path it, and it wants to choose the divine love path, there's all this pressure to go on the natural love path by its friends. So naturally, a lot of people go onto the natural love path because of that. So it's not a matter of whether it's to do with advertising or any of those things. 
It's to do with the laws of attraction that are operating upon the emotions of the child at the time. And those laws of attraction will depend on the parent's emotions, its mate's emotions, its friend's emotions, what it feels itself is going to be the best thing to do for itself. And that will be a wide variety of emotions impacted upon the child before it makes a decision. Of course, many of them don't understand that all of those impacts are not really worth anything compared to the relationship with God. But how many of you find being honest about your relationship with God on this earth easy? No, it's not easy, is it? You start talking about God with people and what do they say? You start talking about being at one with God, what do they say? You know, you start talking about, you know, following what Jesus taught in the first century, what do they say? You know, you get all these judgments and everything. And this still occurs in the spirit world as well, you get all these judgments. So there's been many times where, like I remember one instance in the spirit world where this grandmother, this newborn child, died soon after uh, being born, uh, passed into the spirit world, and the grandmother, who was in one of the hills, was trying to influence its decisions. Right? And the child felt drawn, because of its connection to its parents on earth, to go to the grandmother all the time, and the child wanted to listen to what the grandmother was saying, but it didn't feel right to the child. And so the child also had some celestial spirits surrounding it, trying to explain you know, that actually this is your grandmother talking through her emotional injuries, right? Your grandmother's not going to feel like this later on, and things like that. But it's very, very hard. You imagine, you're just a child, and you've got all this pressure on you already to actually conform to what the parents or the grandparents want. So often they follow that. A celestial spirit will never interfere with free will, so yeah. that's it. But someone in the hells might be a very good salesman. So people in the hells are salesmen that want to influence free will. People in the celestial state will never do that. They will always just respond to what the desire of the individual is all the time. Um, and James, and, uh, James first, and then you were talking about the the male soul that splits into gay a gay soul and yep. female there. I was wondering, is the distribution of the souls, maleness and females, more or less like the bell curve of distribution? Yes, and more like a statistical bell curve. So it's the ends of the bell, if you like, that are the dominantly masculine and the dominantly feminine, and they split, and the majority of the souls split into a heterosexual type of relationship on Earth. Obviously God made it that way so that procreation of the human race would continue. If the dominant split was homosexual or lesbian, then there wouldn't be much procreation perhaps occurring. And so, you know, it would be much more difficult for the human race to continue. But God's, God made the split in the same way that he makes many other splits with, or, or many other things, right, a variety, right the way through all of creation. And the ends of that variety, the dominantly masculine and the dominantly feminine, are the homosexual souls, if you like, and the ones in the middle are the heterosexual souls. Yeah. And so God, from God's perspective, they are all her children and they are all loved as much as each other from God's perspective. The problem is our perspective. We often have very many injuries in terms of love ourselves. We often have very many phobias and many of those things include homophobias. And we need to deal with those things emotionally. That's right. <coughs> 
this is a question um, regarding the, uh, the soul before it splits, and then one half gets incarnate, and the other one not being aware of itself, would it actually miss the other half? Would it feel... No. The part that hasn't yet incarnated doesn't miss the one that's incarnated, and the one that's incarnated doesn't miss the other half either right at the point of incarnation. If the parents are aware of soulmates, and if the parents are in fact at one with God when they have the child, then the soulmate longing will begin at the point of conception. Does that make sense? But if the parents are not aware of soulmate relationship or they have intergender injuries, which is the majority of parents in the human race, then what happens is that even the soul that's incarnated already will not start feeling its soul longing until usually it gets up into the ages of like the puberty ages when it starts feeling those longings. But the truth is that it can have those longings far, far earlier in life. But unfortunately, the majority of parents are not aware of the truth, which prevents that longing from occurring. Another question. Um, this is about the use of the pill as a contraception. Yep. And um, I, I might be wrong here, but my understanding is that uh, what, how the pill works is that the woman still ovulates, I think, and, um, and it actually just doesn't allow that uh, conceived embryo to settle in the uterus and grow. There's, there's a few different types of pills. There's that kind of a pill which, which actually kills the embryonic child, if you like. There's another, other types of pill prevent the process of conception altogether. So if my suggestion, if you're going to go on the pill, look at the ones that prevent the process of conception. But, that, but again, that is a free will choice in terms of what... So uh, that, that would mean if you're taking the one that actually kills the embryonic um, Child, yep. that would actually be like a, an abortion. That, that it's similar to an abortion, yes. It's like the morning after pill. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I have a question about um, sex changes. Yep. Um, I, I'm assuming that that is a, um, a soul error something, but what does it actually mean? Where does it come from? Um, now, this is getting into a really big area of discussion, um, which we can talk about. Um, myself and Mary have spent a lot of time discussing this together. Um, there are two types of pro processes going on with the sex chain. Well, there's a lot more than that, actually. I think I've mentioned them in the previous thing I've said. Oh, yes. Notice under basic, what is basic sexuality? I've got unimpeded soul connection. This is the fourth main point down. Unimpeded soul connection with the spiritual and physical bodies is essential for sexual organ development. And then I've said severe prior generation, transgenerational emotional injuries regarding sexuality and self-identity affect the new soul's connection to the body, the production of hormones, chromosomal abnormalities in the genetic structure, and spirit connections attracted by parents' emotional condition. Now those four things that I've mentioned there affect how the sexual organs develop while you're in the womb. They also, so that there are, there are a lot of things going on during the time of gestation inside of the womb. Now, all of those things affect how the sexual organs actually de develop, 
and there are also um, many genetic abnormalities that occur due to emotions within the parents and the grandparents, in other words, transgenerational emotional injuries that impact upon the genetic structure physically, that impact upon the union of the sperm and the egg cell, that then impact upon the development of the child's body that's connected to the soul. Now, obviously, all of those problems can all be sorted out if we grow in our condition of love. So that's the thing to bear in mind in all of those things. Rather than discuss every single one of them, um, when it comes to sex change operations, there's usually two main factors driving it. One is that they have chromosomal abnormalities, and then they have to choose a gender. Now that only happens, I think there's only 600 reported cases in the world today of that occurring. So 606 billion uh, reported cases of that actually occurring, which is, a, which is a very minor amount, obviously. And that just shows you how much the genetic structure must have been manipulated by parental injuries in sexuality. There are quite a lot of people looking for sex change operations compared to that. And the reason why that often, that often is occurring is because of heavy spirit influence from the moment of, of conception. For instance, many people have a spirit connecting to them at the moment of conception that the parent's emotional condition can't prevent. And the spirit is actually of a different gender than the person themselves. So in other words, I'm a male, I'm a male just incarnated, and I've got a female spirit, a young female spirit, maybe connecting to my body from the moment of incarnation or soon after. And my parents' emotional condition didn't prevent that from occurring. And so now when I'm born, I'm, I'm a male, but I've got heavy female spirit influence trying to use my body through you, to, to interact with the earth through me. Now that causes huge emotional problems from that day onwards, from the time of conception onwards, really. And so I, I may actually grow up, be a male, four or five years old, thinking that I'm a female because of this heavy mediumistic connection that I have with a female spirit. So can you see how, like, just the emotional conditioning can modify lots of different things. Now, if I'm into my teens, I'm going to be very, if I'm still this heavily connected to this female spirit, I'm going to be very disappointed with my body's development and start wanting to cut things off and replace them with other things for example. Right? So um, what I've found is that many people I've met who have uh, desire for sex change type operations are heavily mediumistic and are heavily influenced by spirits motivating their choices. And unfortunately with all the psychological testing you can't test for that. Because they feel they're female, they've got this strong female entity connecting through them right from the time they even were, were, were um, conceived and so you imagine that so every psychological barrage that you can aim at them you'll come back with they feel they're female and so they go ahead with the sex change operations unfortunately it confuses them at the time of their passing because when they pass the spirit connection separates automatically and so now they're in this quasi very difficult place of no longer feeling they're heavily female anymore, but can, you know, realizing they're male, realizing how the connection occurred, it's a very, very distressing place for many of the spirits who pass in that state. Does that make sense?
Okay. Now that's a short explanation of a very long question. Actually, Carol, thank you. Jay, you say there's only about 600 in the world of children that are born with bicep or hermaphrodites. Hermaphrodites, yeah. As a young nurse, in a couple of months period in yeah. Brisbane Hospital, I saw probably about five, and then they're, they're hidden away and they're operated on. Well, I, I may be wrong because yeah. I've just gone by the statistics presented, yeah, I don't and, know that and a lot of them might be hidden. So. Yeah, because these children were just very um, stealthily nursed for a couple of weeks and operated on a decision that yeah. had to be made by doctors and parents as to what, what will we make them. Yeah. You know, where do they stand in all this? Yeah, it's a very poor decision, actually. To, a decision should not be made, actually, at that point. Because it, it creates, and the decision is actually being made because of the injuries of the doctors and the nurses and the parents and all of that, the emotional injuries regarding sexual identity. Because if they realise that, hang on a sec, obviously this person has two types of sexual organs, and, and, and they then went down the road of, right, there's something going on at the soul level here, parents and everything, so we can't allow the parents to make the choice, really, as to being operated on this person, this person really needs to be making their own choices. Now, even with that, I read some things up about some hermaphrodites who were born with uh, an XXXY chromosome. They grew up, but they were abused by men sexually because they had both se men and female or sexual organs. They were abused by family members, mostly men. In one case, we read they were abused by men and women in the family. Now, how confusing are they? Are they how confused are they going to be sexually? So, so this person didn't do anything. Like they, they didn't have their organs cut off or, or replaced, which is a good thing, I believe. And they were left to develop. Now, if they developed in divine love and became at one with God, by the time they'd be at one with God, they'd actually be healed, and their body would reflect their soul's true gender. So that would all happen automatically. So there is no need to go cutting off things and, and, and hiding them even. And we only do that because of the emotional injuries that are in the community and in the persons, uh, you know, the parents and, and others, that are then imposed upon that child. Which, ironically, are the same emotional injuries that created their condition. Um, Saw their beautiful soul, mate, Absolutely. and so, walked away. Yeah. They said, you're too beautiful. Not really. You're, you've made a choice based on your own soul condition of rejection of your soul, mate. Obviously, your soulmate is going to feel that rejection if they are connected. And so, obviously, at the soul level, there is going to be emotions felt by both of you at some point in the future. Now, for the soulmate that's rejected, often the emotions that, and they know that they're conscious, they're conscious of their soulmate, they'll feel their emotions then and there, probably, of rejection and so forth. Their soulmate might feel the emotion later. But it just depends. So there's nothing like a cash record or well, the Akashic record is actually a record within your own soul of your own emotional condition. 
And so, you know, there is such a thing that exists, certainly, but, it, but it's not there for penalty or punishment. It's just, a, it's just your own emotional condition at that particular moment. And so the key is to allow yourself to feel your emotions. So if in the spirit world any of you pass and you're introduced to your soulmate by a very uh, happy-looking celestial spirit who assures you that this is your soulmate even though you don't want to believe it, then my suggestion is work through your emotional injuries first before you say, no, I've got to walk away because you'll find that there's a lot of happiness in connecting with your soulmate. And secondly, uh, it's my understanding that a child chooses parents for certain lessons. Yeah. Um, so I don't agree with that at all. Yeah. Yeah. The, the truth is that the parents choose a child through the law of attraction. The child has a, is not conscious of itself before incarnation. So remember I've said in past lessons that reincarnation has only begun since 19, in the 1960s. And before then, um, reincarnation did not occur. And all of the so-called teachings of reincarnation before then are all based on unloving premises anyway. The, the second thing is that reincarnation cannot occur until the soul reaches the 22nd sphere state in a soul union condition. That's the only state that reincarnation can occur. And that be, being the case, um, obviously then, if the person's in that state, they can make choices. But in the first incarnation, the incarnation that the majority or all of, pretty much all of you have had, the first incarnation, in that incarnation, you are not aware of the choices you're making because you don't have self-awareness. Right? And this is why many of you can't remember the process of incarnation even. Because if you were reincarnated, you would remember that process of incarnation and you'd understand the choices you made and why you made them. And you would be fully conscious of that fact, generally, if you deal with your emotions. It all gets back to dealing with your emotions anyway. Does that make sense? Jenny? Mine's a difficult question to ask. But I'd like to understand why women menstruate, why why women go through uh, the cycle yep. and what that really means uh, from God's perspective or how it occurred. Yep. And in your pure pristine state, you will not menstruate. <laughs> you won't have period pain or any of those kind of things. You won't even have childbirth pain. In fact, there's been some recorded cases, and I think one of Mary's friends said to Mary once about one of her friends. I know, I met a woman in, in Switzerland. I sat down at this little tavern with my friend, and we, my friend had just had a baby. And we just met this amazing French woman who spoke really broken English and told us the story. And she had a just one daughter, and when she gave birth to her daughter, she had the most amazing orgasm. And we had to check with her, and she said, "No, an orgasm." So in the end, childbirth won't be painful at all. In fact, it will be quite a pleasure. You understand? It's due to emotional injuries the intergender emotional injuries that these pains occur. When you release them, they will no longer be in your body and therefore your body will be able to adjust to everything that's going on inside of it. And so you actually, believe it or not, also have control over conception. 
the male and the female both have control over conception without you needing to choose any contraceptive method medically. Obviously, that again is going to be something that will happen when you're in the one state. So our desire, in the end, is going to be matched by our ability to control our own body and our ability to determine when we want to be pregnant or not and when you want to menstruate or not. Uh, it's due to the intergender, inter, the, the, the transgenerational intergender emotional injuries that are carried by the world today that are imposed upon every subsequent generation. So if we as a generation get rid of those intergender injuries, it's going to have a powerful effect medically and emotionally and physically on every single person that comes after. Yeah, can I say on the subject of like period pain, I have found really, um, I've always suffered very bad period pain and um, since I started on the Divine Love Path, I've noticed uh, um, how many emotions are actually linked to that about myself as a woman and I feel like it is a really multi-generational thing that we carry. So um, I threw out the Naperson. And I just feel my emotions. <laughs> so, so now what Mary's been doing is uh, not taking the painkillers, obviously, and allowing herself to feel the emotions. And it's quite amazing sometimes. She doesn't even sometimes have to feel the emotion. Like, just to identify what the emotion is and it subsides. So I've, I've actually processed quite a bit of emotion around my identity as a woman and shame and all in that period of time. Sorry? Same goes for menopause, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Your symptoms will eventually go as you grow in divine love and as you work through the emotions. Symptoms of menopause will disappear completely in the end and you won't actually have menopause in the end. You'll be able to procreate at any age and, and it will be your own choice. Hope you just crossed your legs. <laughs> <laughs> So some of you will be a hundred year old in the future, having a baby. Oh, no. But you won't look a hundred, you'll look 25. You'll feel fantastic. And you'll feel fantastic. Joshua, thanks. You said before you guys were the first um, soul to unite, is that right? To? To unite. Yeah, the 20 seconds yeah. for your state, yes. Does that mean that, um, like, is, like, surely in, in the, the timeline of infinity, is, is there other Earths with different spirit world, like, levels going on? Or is it, like, how can you be the first? Um, I'm only saying from this Earth. Yeah, so there's a spirit, like, stepping, thing happening. Yeah, well, when, when you're in the 20 seconds for your state, you can answer all of those questions. And when I'm back in the 20 seconds of your state, I'll answer all those questions for you. But at the moment, because I'm not in that state again, I can't answer those questions. All I can do is answer based on what I feel is true. And I feel there are other Earths where there is life. I'm not sure whether there is human life yet on those other planets. Because I have a strong feeling, actually, that, that the Earth was sort of like one of the first places that God created this system. And so... We may find at some point in the future that 
why all these other planets exist and they have other forms of life on them that actual human life might be part of our own process of actually reaching the 22nd sphere state and having children because the soul at that state can have children so in other words children at the soul level so we're talking like god has children do you follow me so so yeah i, I wouldn't say we'd be gods but but you know we'll be the parents if you like of those of those children I'm really curious about UFOs, aliens. Yep. That's such a huge phenomenon. Can we ask people. that in another, another no, session? I was just going to ask, is there going to be a day when you do that? Um, it'll probably be involved with lots of just general questions. So we might have a general question day where people, like many of you probably now have lots of just general questions, not particularly on a subject. And we might make a day where there's just a general question day and bring it off then. That'd be great. Mary, um, I'm curious about the point of conception. I've seen a DVD about 10 years ago when I saw um, someone had captured the conception of the and the, what they were showing was the ovum and the intelligence to keep the sperm. And I think it was a sacred geometry DVD and I'd just like your comments on what you both think about that. Yes, the ovum certainly does choose the sperm. But it's based again on the emotions that are in the mother and the emotions that are in the father at the time of the sex act. So it's it's all to do with actually the emotions causing the entire... In fact, your entire physical body is totally driven by your emotional system. So your soul even controls how fast you age, all of the replication of all the cells inside of you, including the cells that are to do with the sexual union. So all of those cells are under the control of the soul. So yes, they do select. The key is knowing how to make that selection on a conscious level, which only occurs when you're again at one with the father. And when I say on a conscious level, it happens so rapidly that you don't, it just is based around your emotional condition. Does that make sense? It's like, it is based around the emotional condition. Yeah, well, I guess, AJ, you know, what, what I can say Yes, in the next sex and sexuality discussion that we have, we'll talk more about the practical things you can do to heal different aspects of sexuality and also heal different areas of your body, which, you know, that, that certainly will be a big part of that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. James, thank you, and then... Uh, 
I, I chose to have a vasectomy about 25 years ago, and thinking back on that now, I'm very aware that it's made on the basis of emotional injury. Yep. And I'm also aware that that's, I feel that that's had quite an impact. It certainly had an impact on testicular function, yep. and it's had an impact on me as a person. And uh, I know that I really have to address that emotional injury, but I'm wondering whether that, as I address that, whether that changes sexual function or whether I should think about reversal of the vasectomy. And I've had the same thing happen, so I've uh, had a vasectomy too. And, and my, so my comments apply to myself as much as yourself. As you work through your emotional injuries, your vasectomy will be automatically restored. And you, when you get into a point of a one with God, all of your physical body problems will be, you can heal yourself anyway. So the vasectomy itself will be healed. It certainly does impair the function, but it impairs the function more from the emotional condition than from the actual act of having the vasectomy. So, it's all, so that's why it's immeasurable from a doctor's perspective, because the emotions were present before you had the vasectomy anyway. So it's the same emotions again. So it's dealing with the emotions that cause you to want to do that, that need to be released and worked through. And once they're worked through, your body has the ability to heal that part of your body anyway. Yeah. Again, it's something I've had to pray about. We've got about uh, repentance, about also looking at the issue of modifying my body for the sake of my own emotions. And uh, it's the same kind of thing that a woman would go through with many different things with regard to breast implants and other things like that too you go through these kind of emotions of modifying your body. The truth actually is, ladies, that as you deal with the emotions inside of you, your breast will get to what is their designed size, if you like. Right? And if your breasts are far too large, it's, it's usually because of over-nurturing emotions. If your breasts are undersized, it's due to generally under-nurturing types of emotions. And as you work through those intergender type emotions, you'll find that your body shape will change. So, don't go out and buy a whole new wardrobe now. <laughs> no, of course you can buy whatever you want. I was just going to say too that in my first marriage, I, I pressured my wife into having a tubal ligation. Yep. And that's another... And hence the guilt about the vasectomy. Yeah. So it was the guilt driving the vasectomy from that pressuring. Yeah. Ian, other back, thanks. Diagnosed, diagnosed with uh, prostate cancer five years ago. Yep. I had surgery four years ago. Yep. And um, my PSA counts for zero. Uh, so I've been cured of cancer, but I've lost my prostate. Yep. So um, I assume what you were saying, I've got uh, some errors in my regular Yes, certainly. So the key is to allow yourself to work through some of those areas that are to do with how you view yourself as a male. It's due to previous relationships with females and how you viewed yourself as a male. And so allow yourself to work through those particular injuries and you'll find it's to do with your mother relationship actually and how you view yourself as a result. If you can allow yourself to work through those injuries, you'll find actually your prostate will grow again and, as, and when you become a one with God, it will restore its normal function. I've got some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, that's right.
I have a sit on. I have a comment and a question. And the comment is for you, Mary, regarding the French woman that you met. And I saw a program about a month ago on 2020 from America. And there are women that are having that experience of orgasms with childbirth. And it's from completely relaxing around the experience. And it just sounds just fantastic. I mean, this new wave of awareness. And they were kind of like going, whoa, you know, they're rolling their eyes and all this. But they also presented it. And it went all over the planet. And I've, I've seen a film before about women in Russia doing this very same thing. And they're just allowing the beauty of that experience to happen. So uh, that's the comment. And the question is, what about in vitro fer fertilization? Can you comment on that? Um, yeah, we can. <laughs> and probably getting a bit off the sex and sexuality thing and into some other sort of discussions about what, you know, what is the right thing to do about different choices that we make regarding childbearing and childbearing. But uh, just briefly, um, if a person cannot get pregnant in, a, in the standard method, shall we call it, um, there is emotions that both the husband and the wife need to look at identifying. Now, having any medical procedure, all that does is ignore the fact that the emotions are creating the problem. Do you follow me? And so my suggestion is to look at the causes of the problem rather than looking at whether these procedures are right or wrong in themselves, but rather look at the cause of the issue. The cause of the issue is if it's a male infertility, it's to do with his issues with regard to his emotions, that probably again transgenerational emotions that have entered him that he needs to look at releasing. And if, if, it's, if infertility is on the side of the woman, then it, she needs to do the same thing. Now, usually when they do that, and there are many times when people have said that they couldn't get pregnant, they've gone and had an adoption or had an in, in vitro fertilisation, and then the second one, they've got pregnant naturally. And the reason why is during this process, they've often worked through some of the emotion regarding why they couldn't get pregnant in the first place. My suggestion is to deal with the emotional causes right from that time moment. What about the multiple births that are happening? Like somebody just had eight. Where are the souls on that? I mean, well, they're all separate uh, soul incarnations occurring into the eight children. Many of those multiple births, though, occurred through, through abnormalities or through, um, what do they call it, fertilisation-type drugs. And the problem with taking any drugs, of course, is going to be that it modifies the physiological function without, without a reference to the soul condition. And so my suggestion is always go back to the soul condition rather than trying to modify something at a physiological function level. When you do that, you're just ignoring the soul condition. So, so allow yourself to go back to looking at the emotional reasons as to why you can't get pregnant before taking fertilization drugs which help you get pregnant. Look at the emotional reasons as to why you can't. Or look at if there's a constant stream of miscarriages occurring, look at the emotional reasons why those miscarriages might be occurring. Allow yourself to look at these things emotionally. That's the key thing to do. Um, and first down there. Um, AJ and Mary, um, I had um, 
when I was younger, I also had very severe hearing pains. And um, when I was younger, um, I had a lot of trouble about my sexuality. Uh, that came from my mother in particular. And um, I didn't know whether I was a male or a female. And I resented very much that a woman had to have periods and the males seemed to be all scot-free. Mm -hmm. Big emotion, girls. Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, but when I realised, but I didn't know if I went through any emotional things, but when I realised that I actually hated being a woman and accepted it, um, my period pains went away. Um, but the actual question is that um, you asked before, AJ, about who, did, who doesn't like sex and things like that. Um, having had quite a... Um, promiscuous type of lifestyle um, uh, and also practicing spiritual directions. Um, I come to a point in my life where I felt I didn't need it and um, I've enjoyed it sort of but I felt I don't need it, I don't have any wish for it. Yeah. So my question is is this related back to my, is that the era that perhaps is... Um, so we're just going to keep going with, on the general outline that we've, we've given you. Um, and just wanted to remind everyone that today is almost the introductory sort of groundwork that we're doing about sex and sexuality. Um, and a lot of people have been asking about um, individual issues, which I understand, and that's also really relevant. But probably today we're just going to be addressing some broader general things, um, and then in our next section, session on section sexuality, we'll talk more specifically about specific injuries and different uh, techniques in order to work through those injuries. So, um, I think where AJ wanted to start off right now was the, the section on the second side of your outline, which is about injuries with sexual identity causes our law of attraction to attract. Lots of interesting things. Or, or you could say lots of very distressing things, couldn't you, really? Um, how many of you have experienced sexual abuse in your life? Did I just say? Wow, so that's like two-thirds probably? Three, two-thirds probably of our room. There's over a hundred people here, so that's quite a lot of people, isn't it? Now, a lot of times we ask ourselves, well, how did that happen to me? Well, how it happened to us is that our parents did not resolve their sexual injuries. That's how it happened. And the reason why that happens is like that is because when our parents don't resolve their sexual injuries, they actually attract events to themselves which cause them to trigger those injuries. And for many of our parents, they've also been abused sexually. Or they have sexual shame issues to work through or sexual guilt issues to work through and so forth. And unfortunately, when they have a child, those children automatically have that imprint of those emotions on them. And so that's why as children we often attract those kind of abuse issues. So anything to do with sexual control, sexual powerlessness, 
sexual abuse of our own children or sexual abuse generally to ourselves, all of those events are law of attraction events that are there to help us work through some sexual abuse issues within ourselves or sexual identity issues within ourselves. Unfortunately, because there's a lot of spirits involved in the whole process, often what happens with sexual abuse is spirits get involved in the sexual abuse process. So of all of you who have been sexually abused, when, it, when you were little, how many of you noticed the spirits who were involved in the process? Can I just have the hands there? So only one. And yet, in every single case, spirits were involved in that process of sexual abuse. So, um, the issue that we often face is that we lose our spirit connection with abuse as well. Does that make sense? If you, you feel the person going into a different state, the person who's abusing you going into a different state that's actually influenced by spirits, what happens is you also become very afraid of feeling what those spirits are feeling as well. Now, all of these things occur because of the law of attraction of the parents' sexual injuries. So can you see how important it is as parents to work through our sexual injuries? Because it, it, it assists us greatly and assists our children greatly in having a sexual identity that isn't harmed by these kind of events. And so the next point is about uh, further to that other spirit sort of influence that might influence us into unloving uh, sexual practices with other people. So if we have a specific injury or a needy feeling within us, then we're, we can be quite susceptible to spirits that want to use us then, if, if they want to experience sex, use us to enter um, interactions with people, sexual interactions with people that may not be loving. Um, if I can give you an example of this, uh, a few weeks ago I met a man, so let's draw the man. Right. He has a spirit with him, or a group of spirits with him, who are interested in... The, he's very mediumistic, this man. He has a group of spirits who are just interested in setting him up for sexual encounters. That's all they're interested in doing with him. So what happens is he walks along the road, and here's a pretty woman maybe dressed a little better than that, but... And, and if she has a certain type of injury, this spirit influenced this woman to notice this man. And usually within one day, they're in bed. So he has had a string of conquests, I suppose you could say. He has this mojo with women. <laughs> Shall we call it that? which actually isn't mojo, it's actually spirit-influenced, influencing him and influencing the woman with a certain type of injury. And the woman mostly being influenced with the injury is she's quite needy for physical touch, she's quite needy for physical affection, and she's also, she also wants a man in her life who really takes note of her, notice of her sexually and physically and emotionally, all of which he does to get a person into bed. So what are his emotions? So his emotions are, he really feels quite powerless sexually. But what's happening is these spirits have connected to that powerless emotion sexually and what they're doing is they're giving him sexual power. Do you follow me? 
And so he is unwilling to feel this emotion. And on top of that, he's willing to actually break a lot of God's laws about love to enter the sexual union. So he's not concerned about having long-term relationships with these women. He's only concerned with getting them into bed so that he can feel better about himself sexually. Does that make sense? And every new woman he, can, he, he completes the conquest of, he feels better about himself. Ironically, he doesn't though. Because unfortunately, it's not real, is it? It's driven by these groups of spirits. So talking to him was quite interesting because he felt that he was actually under the control. He, he felt that he was controlling these spirits. He knew they were there with him. And he knew often what they were doing. But he felt he was under, the, he was under control of them. But in reality, they are completely controlling him through this emotion of sexual powerlessness. What about the woman? The woman's, uh, the, the woman's again, influenced as well by these spirits. And, uh, and the woman is influenced by different emotions that she needs somebody to show her sexual attention and to feel loved. So for the women, it's about the fact that they actually feel unloved and they actually don't want to feel that emotion. So the whole interaction with the man is also a law of attraction for them because they end up feeling unloved. So what happens? He has sex with them and then within a week generally breaks the relationship and within a week they want to marry him generally. And a, and a few days after that obviously he wants to break up the relationship. <laughs> and, and so they feel abandoned and unloved. So that's their law of attraction. They're attracting this whole interaction in order to feel those things. Now, can you see in all of that interaction, like, if you were the man, can you see how you might start thinking, oh, this is pretty good, I can't get any woman I want in bed, you know, and you can start feeling quite good about yourself, and I'm, you know, you can see yourself doing that. And it's all actually influenced by an emotion that you're trying to avoid in the end. So is she feeling generally unloved? Is she feeling generally unloved or is it a daddy issue? It's a daddy issue, certainly. It's a male issue. Yep, certainly. Now, why would he be feeling sexually uh, powerless in the first place? Uh, because he has a mum issue. <laughs> <laughs> so, can you see how it all relates? Yeah, what kind of mum issue? The kind of mum issue is that, uh, oh, in, in his case, well, I probably don't like to be too specific about his emotions. Um, he may finish up watching this DVD, so he can ask me personally. Um, but generally, if a person's feeling sexually powerless, it's because in their interactions with their mother when they were little, they were constantly being overridden, constantly being pulled into line, constantly being not allowed to express their free will, but in specifically with their mother. In with their father, they generally were allowed to. Does that make sense? And oftentimes they did receive sexual projections from their mother in the sense of, like, their mother might have been projecting at them sexually to be the ideal man. Does that make sense? And so then they grow up feeling like they're not the ideal man. They're always being pulled into line. So now they want to have a powerful feeling. And spirits love those kind of connections. 
because spirits, many spirits in the first sphere are feeling totally powerless until they can connect with the person on earth and start expressing their power through that person. So is it worth pointing out that without the spirits, the same interaction would still be happening, just to a lesser, with less potency, if you like. So it's still the law of attraction acting with the spirits and it's still the person's emotional injuries that's driving the interactions. So in other words, like Mary said, if that spirit wasn't there, this man still got that emotion and this woman still got these emotions, but they haven't got spirits scanning around for them and hooking them up anymore, so there would be far less of those kind of interactions. But because the spirit's involved, that heightens the emotions and causes these events to happen far more rapidly, which is actually good in the sense, because it means that hopefully at some point he'll deal with that emotion and hopefully she at some point will deal with the unloved emotion. Does that make sense? And it causes those events to happen quite rapidly. That's one of the things you... If that happens, where... You know, all of a sudden different events seem to occur where people are coming into life and they want to have sex with you. <laughs> Not many people in that. <laughs> if that happens, usually spirit driven. Okay. Is there any questions about that? Hey, Jane Mary, what happens if you consciously are engaged in. So, um, a really conscious sexual encounter with someone else on planet Earth, not a spirit, yep. and you set it up so you um, ask only the celestial spirits to be with you, and that isn't there a way of isn't there a way of being much more conscious about what we're doing um, and asking for somebody much higher than a a grey old spirit who's um, kind of left on his you know? <laughs> so in other words, you want a celestial spirit to set you up? You know, from the old paradigm, you ask for the white light to surround you, you know, the metaphysical... And can I just take you from that, though, for a yes. moment? As soon as you're asking for a white light to surround you, you are not dealing with the issue emotionally. If you deal with the issue emotionally, you don't have to ask for protection at all because you automatically have protection. Because once the emotion's relieved from you, then you automatically have protection. So the better thing to ask is to ask God, not a spirit. Remember, this is all about your connection with God and not spirits. Ask God to assist you to deal with your own emotions regarding your sexual injuries so that you can attract the person who's... And, and, and attract the people that are going to help you to do that. You can certainly ask God to do that. Okay, that, that makes it clearer. Thanks, AJ. But you certainly don't want to surround yourself with white light and stuff. The reason why is because as soon as you do that, you certainly put a protective barrier around yourself, right? But you're also protecting yourself from your own emotion. And in the end, it's your emotions that are attracting all of these things. And so you can surround yourself with white light as much as you want, but in the end of the day, you're going to have to do it every day. And what I'm trying to teach you is get into a state where you don't have to do any of those things at all, and your life is perfect as a result of actually dealing with all the emotions. Does that make sense to everyone? Rather than going into this state of protecting yourself 
from the emotions, which is actually going to cause your emotions to stay in you and attract these events for, for a longer time. Because sex is emotional in the end anyway. So it's just like all of the other things in our life. Um, instead of avoiding the emotion, go into the emotion. And if the law of attraction is bringing us a yucky sexual experience, then it is our law of attraction. So we need to go into it. Not necessarily the sexual act again. Not the sexual act. Emotionally. Go into the emotion. <laughs> you understand what Mary's saying. Into it emotionally. So if you just got abused by a man sexually, that doesn't mean go back to him because that's your law of attraction, but rather feel your emotion about the event. Go through it emotionally. And the next point on the list, I think, is um, when our law, of, when we have sexual injuries, our law of attraction brings us perhaps difficulties or a lack of uh, orgasm or sexual response. So, so how many of and this is a personal question, ladies, and you don't have to put up your hand if you don't want to. <laughs> How many of you ladies find it difficult to orgasm? Just on my ladies. <laughs> All right. And there's a lot more that find it too. They didn't put up their hand, no, that's fine. How many of you guys find it difficult to achieve to to remain potent or have a problem with impotence? Okay, so a few. How many of you find that it takes a long time for you to orgasm? Like, not five minutes, but maybe half an hour or longer. Right? How many of you find? How many of you find? Fraser is panning the. <laughs> how many of you find that uh, um, when you do orgasm, it doesn't feel satisfactory? How many of you find that uh, when you, like, when you masturbate, it only takes a short time to orgasm, but when you interact with a person, it takes a much longer time to orgasm? Everyone. <laughs> it just seems like suddenly all of these hands went up. There's a lot of spirits holding your hands up. <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. Where did my rapper go? Where did my rapper go? <laughs> I meant that in the fury of rubber. <laughs> Alright. Every single sexual problem that we have with regard to impotence, lack of orgasm, time, duration, short, you know, we come too soon or too long, or our enjoyment of all of that, is all to do with emotions. All of it's to do with emotions. It's got nothing to do with your physical body. So the Viagra works because it actually just does something to your physical body, but it doesn't change the soul. So you're going to need to keep taking Viagra. Right? or whatever other type of drug you may take to enhance the experience. The best way to enhance the experience is to deal with the soul-based emotions that cause the experience to not be as good as it could be. So if your law of attraction is bringing you sexual, a lack of sexual response or 
or things being too fast, that you're, anything that annoys you in your sexual life, then look at it sincerely as emotional injuries regarding my sexual identity. Does that make sense? Look at it that way. Now, in the second session, we'll be talking about how to deal with those things. But for now, if you can just be aware of them, because when, when you start being aware of them, it's amazing how things change, even from a day-to-day -day basis. How many of you have found that today sex was good, but in two days' time when you had sex again, it didn't seem to be as good, and you don't really know why? How many of you find that? Quite a few, right? How it seems to fluctuate, ebb and flow, what's going on? What's going on is there's emotions influencing each interaction. Does that make sense? At some point, too, you will get to the point where you no longer have a desire for sexual interaction without, with anyone other than your soulmate. So you can actually try to have sex with someone else other than your soulmate, and it will fail every time. That sounds like a really good place to be. <laughs> Can be quite embarrassing. <laughs> Jen? You're talking from male perspective. I'm talking about female and male perspective. Yeah, both perspectives. Remember, God, God hasn't designed this to be different for the male and different for the female, actually. So, you know, there's one of the biggest misconceptions about sex that's on this planet is that everything is different for the male and different for the female. There are just different emotions inside of each one affecting the sex act and it's the key is dealing with those emotions so for a woman they won't reach a state of arousal with anyone but their soulmate and for a male they won't even become erect with anyone other than their soulmate uh, you, you answered part of the question um, just before I was going to ask about uh, my emotional state one day I'm feeling really good so I'll have a good sexual experience and two days later I'm not feeling very nice so it's not as good yep. but what about hormones what about women with their cycles and also men do hormones come into play with that at all it's all emotional they're all driven by your emotions anyway so all the hormones are driven system. by the emotions anyway even if you are in a menstrual cycle or yeah okay thank you i, I yeah i think my menstrual cycle is totally affected by my emotions i've experienced that recently as well the key is that when you focus on the emotions, you'll start noticing why things are changing. When you focus on the physiological response, you don't notice your emotions, and so you don't notice why everything's changing. The key is if you can bring yourself back to every single thing being an emotional issue, you'll soon see what the core of the emotion, what the core emotion is, because you'll soon, it'll soon come to your mind generally, particularly if you pray about it, it generally just comes to your mind straight away. So often, often, We've had to abandon the sex act, myself and Mary, in preference of dealing with the emotion that just comes up. And actually, what's the emotion? Like it might have been anger for her, or it might have been fe my feeling disconnected, or whatever. And we work through the emotion straight away, right there and then. Yeah, and I would say that my sexual experience has altered greatly according when I started dealing with my emotions. So it happens quite rapidly, especially if you remain emotion well, yeah, if you remain emotionally open during sex. So you may remain emotionally open during sex and find this huge rage come over you. Now obviously 
if you're with a man who's sensitive to that, he's probably not going to keep doing what he's doing right? with you in this huge rage. But allow yourself to feel this huge rage coming over you and connect with what it's about. Even You can even scream and yell about it. You may have a feeling of pain come over you all of a sudden from, you know, from your sexual organs, for example. Let yourself feel that pain and cry or scream about the pain. Let yourself do that, right? Now, this is where a lot of people don't want to go, isn't it? They want the sex act to be just perfect every time, and so we try to manage that emotionally. But if we just allow the emotions to come up every time, what happens the next time you have sex, it'll be far more pleasurable because that causal emotion has left you. It's like everything on the divine love path. you just got to give up control. Sure. Uh, about three years ago, uh, after a breakup uh, with a, a guy, I was given the opportunity to go sailing. But before that, I was kind of praying to God and said, look, I don't want to have sex unless it's great sex. I'm sick of having mediocre sex, so I want great sex. So I went on this uh, sailing trip and I had great sex. <laughs> so I thought God had answered my prayers, but now I'm starting to realise that because I was sailing around the wet Sundays and didn't have a care in the world and didn't have three grandchildren and daughter down below me, that um, I was probably in a very good emotional state. Yes. So that's why I had great sex. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> now all I have to do is work on my emotions, manifest a really good guy and have some more great sex. <laughs> See, the, the key with that experience is, you know when you go on holidays, generally you're a lot more relaxed, right? And then you are on your day-to-day -day life. And the problem, there's a problem associated with that. Why aren't you relaxed in your day-to-day -day life? So often what happens is we go on a holiday meet up with somebody, have great sex with them, take them home and then realise they're not someone you want to live with, right? And the reason why that is, is because we were just connecting on a physical level. We weren't connecting on a soul level, right? And we were connecting partially on a soul level because we were relaxed. And the physiological response was, is a lot more free, there's a lot more freedom in it when we're relaxed. But we, weren't, we were also ignoring all the other soul connections. You know, all the other soul connections of what type of, what character is this person, and all those things are all just ignored. We just abandon all that for the sake of the sex act. So we've got to be very careful about doing that too, because in the end, if sex doesn't incorporate love, then already there's a law of God being broken. So that's something to be aware of in your own, in your own life. So many of you will want to have sex because you want to be, you know, hugged, or you want to be touched. Or you, you know, but you know you don't love the person, but but that's the feeling you want. You feel like that feeling becomes unbearable after a while, particularly if you haven't had sex maybe for three months or six months or so, and and particularly if you're in a relationship and you haven't had sex with the person you're in a relationship with for that period of time, you, it feels so unbearable that in the end that you just feel like you've got to have it, but in reality what you need to do is feel the unbearable emotion. And that's what we often avoid. And it's the unbearable emotion, once it's released, that will actually help us with our sex life in the future. Thanks, Chris. Hi. Um, I know that my earlier years 
I was driven a lot by that neediness of with the emotion behind me of wanting to have sex to have be loved. Now I'm kind of confused with why I even have the desire to want sex, and I feel um, am I being influenced by spirit now? I'm a bit confused since I've been on this path about sexuality in where my desire is coming from. Is it from me? Or am I being driven by spirit, another spirit? Well, the truth is whether we're driven by a spirit or the desires from ourselves, we still need to recognise it and feel it anyway. So it doesn't really matter whether a spirit's influencing me or not. What I need to do is feel my own emotion. So what are my own emotions about sex? What am I actually feeling? Why do I feel a need to do it? Now, generally, it comes from it, something that's unhealed within us in terms of, like, if, if we have a desire to have sex without being in a loving relationship, then obviously there is something unhealed within us that causes us to want to do that. I'm, I'm married. I'm not, it's not like I'm desiring another. That's all right. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same thing. You can be in a marriage, but it doesn't mean you're in a loving relationship. <laughs> and you can also be in a marriage and, and feel love, but have sexual injuries that prevent you from actually opening up to your partner. So issues of vulnerability and other issues like that, that don't allow you to open up. So on the divine path, what happens, you, you'll go through and you'll come up to an emotion. Like the emotion might be, I'm enraged with men for some unknown reason. You don't might even know why, but you just feel this terrible rage with men. When you dig into it and you let yourself experience the rage and come under the sadness, you might realise that it's actually to do with how Dad treated you when you were little. Or you might realise that it's how women get treated, so it's a general women thing, how women have been treated by men in the past. That rage, when that grief is felt and released, it'll change your sex life with your partner if your partner's a male. It'll just change straight away. You'll feel totally different towards the person. And this is why everything needs to be dealt with emotionally. Gary. Okay. Oh, sorry. Dennis, will you... Yeah, sorry, Dennis. Go ahead. And then we'll go across again. Um, why is it that when of experiences one after the other yeah. and um, I have been on a different path at a different time and they have said to it's just have experiences and that has been on a sexual basis and um, so this week I you know, had those emotions of wanting to have sex and be with somebody and being all attraction that happens yeah. and then you sit next to me and I was not wanting to have sex and I hope that's true so there's a question in there. <laughs> What's the question? How did that happen? Well, it's sort of like my mind is sort of going, well, no, it's, you know, and this thing about um, damaging the soul confuses me a little bit too. Because right? part of my belief system is still, it's just an experience. Um, go for it. And now, you know, the divine love part, I'm a little bit confused as to, well, is this love? But having the experience is still giving myself that opportunity to love. So I'm just Is it really love? Do you feel really love? <laughs> Did you feel really love? Or well, was no, it? That's why See, this, well, is, the, this is the problem. Remember right at the beginning, I always say this. 
What are the two influences on the song? Truth and error. Right? How do they in, in, enter you? They enter you through your... So every experience creates emotions and desires and passions in you, right? Is that not right? Every experience. Now, if I choose to have experiences that cause my soul harm, I am going to feel the pain of that harm. If I choose experiences that release pain from my soul, then that's going to be beneficial. So the truth is, yes, this life is all about experiences. It's all about you experiencing this life. Everything that you've experienced will enter your soul. All of it will enter your soul. But if it's out of harmony with love from God's perspective, in other words, if it's out of harmony with the truth about love, it is going to hurt you. Guaranteed. Every time. And that's the penalty. The hurt. The hurt is the penalty for doing it outside of the truth about love. Now, we can use every single thing that happens to us as a way of accessing the truth about love, or we can use it as accessing or avoiding the truth about love. So I can actually physically go and have sex with someone in total avoidance of the underlying emotions that cause me to do so. Or I can go and have sex with someone in full knowledge of the truth about how I'm feeling about that person. One of those experiences is going to cause me pain, the other one is going to cause me pleasure at the soul level. So there is no problem with you experiencing, but the problem comes when you begin to choose to experience things that are not harmonious with love. And most of us have no idea about love. That's why we're here, learning about love, right? Because we don't have any idea about love, and we're learning about love, and we're learning about God's way of loving, and any way that we choose out of harmony with God's way of loving is going to cause pain to ourselves. And this includes sex, just as it includes any other interactions that we have with people. So, sorry, you wanted to say something for a while? Oh, no, just the key is not to go into some sort of beating yourself up about having a sexual encounter. Because... Like he's saying, we're just learning about love and about God and all of those things. If we just stay emotionally open and aware, the fact that we have the desire in the first place, it's already in our soul, whether we act on it or not. So we just have choices about how we're going to experience that desire, how we're going to release that desire. So I had a point. I think the point is, you know, for so long we've had this set set of morals of you know or the rule book or whatever certain people tell us to practice or not practice but in the end as we develop in love we don't need a rule book anymore because it'll all just come from us naturally um, and different actions they might seem dif the, they might seem to be same actions from the outside but different intentions like having sex with somebody or having sex with somebody else it might just seem like sex but if the intention is to connect on an emotional a spiritual and a physical level then that sex is something very different and it's it can be a love transaction um do you, can you make a point out of what, everything i just said <laughs> I 
ideas when he was talking and I didn't say any of them, so then they all just came out all at once. That's great, babe. <laughs> Did you understand what you were saying? Did I release anything? Sorry? I didn't cause any injury, but did I release anything in not room? What do you feel? Yeah. Do, do you feel happy about the encounter? What's your feeling? Did you feel that after you had the sex that you wanted, did you feel that it was actually fulfilling? Well, actually it was good to see him walk out the door and say goodnight. Okay. So it wasn't based on love, it wasn't fulfilling. So whatever the need was in you that drove you to have the sex, right, it actually wasn't a pure need. It was something to do with an emotional injury. Because if it was a pure need, it would have had been very fulfilling and you'd want to stay in a relationship with him and you wouldn't be happy that he walked out afterwards. Does that make sense? But the fact that you were happy that he walked out afterwards and that you didn't want to have sex with him the next, <laughs> not a few nights later, tends to indicate that it was driven by an emotional injury. So allow yourself to look at what the emotional injury was. What was it? Was it a desire for approval, a desire for to be validated as a woman, a desire to be sexually... Um, where am I looking for? So to be sexually attractive. Uh, you know, what, what desire drove you to have sex that in the end wasn't fulfilling anyway? And the reason why it wasn't fulfilling is because you didn't deal with the underlying emotion and release the emotion. That's why it's not fulfilling in the end. So the truth is you can go out and have as many sexual encounters as you want. You'll find most of them very, very unattractive in the end unless you deal with the emotional causes as to why you go out and do it. And this is one reason why I decided myself to stay celibate for five years, because what that did was it triggered every single emotion in me of loneliness, feeling empty without a woman in my life, feeling like nobody... For five years, nobody touched me. So if you can imagine what that feels like, not to ever be touched for five years. And that triggered up lots of childhood emotions about my, my mother not not touching me, not hugging me, and things like that. Lots of emotions come out in that time. So you could choose, I could have chosen to do the same thing by having relationship after relationship, but the problem is they, that would have been just feeding my addictions. Does, does that make sense? And so, and the other obviously feeling I had was, yes, yeah, sex can be an addiction. In fact, sex can be your biggest addiction. So how many of you have sex because you want touch? You want to be held, you want to be loved, you want to be... These are all addictions. That means you're not loved. You don't feel loved. If you want sex to be loved, then you don't feel loved before you begin. Does that make sense? And, the, and having the sex is just feeding that addiction of making the, the illusion that you're loved when in reality, even after the sex act's finished, you still don't really feel loved and you want to have sex again. Right? To feel loved. Because the feeling of being unloved is within you and until it gets released, it's going to stay in you, generating these addictions. So the problem with sex is that it can be very much driven by addictions. Very much driven by addictions. And the law of attraction will bring you these events and show you your addictions. So let the law of attraction do that. Show you and expose you your addictions. If you know you're not in love with the man, you like him, he's nice enough, and you want to have a sex buddy or whatever, for a, right, then look at the addiction. 
Does that make sense? While you're in that addiction, you're never going to attract your soulmate. You need to look at that addiction. Feel that addiction. Work your way through that addiction. Can you see how, like, a lot of times we're being addicted to something, and this applies not only to sex, but many other addictions that we have, in order to mask the underlying emotion. But sex is a wonderful, immediate way of masking an underlying emotion. Right? I'd, mu I'd much rather have sex than have a smoke, right? <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> Not everyone maybe feels that way, but, but honestly, we need to look at why, in both cases, they can be addictions. Right? Obviously, smoking is quite obvious that I'm harming my body. It's not always obvious with sex that I'm actually harming myself until after the event, when I actually feel those terrible emotions of, oh, boy, you know, I've done it again, you know, I've entered another relationship that's not satisfying, I've attracted another person who I've interacted with, I've swapped some energy with, but it hasn't been fulfilling, and so forth. So the key is, is for us to actually deal with the underlying emotional addiction that creates that. I think that was my point. <laughs> <laughs> that if you recognise your addictions, you can choose to recognise the addiction and resist the addiction and deal with the underlying emotion, which can work in some cases. But in some cases, if you recognise the addiction and you, you just observe and allow yourself to feel your emotions while you're satisfying the addiction, you can also, in the end, the addiction loses its power. Yeah, see, I don't agree with Mary, actually. No, it does work. <laughs> I don't know if sex is a good example, but... It, uh, yeah, but see, like, the, the way I view it is, if you're going to choose to do something that also causes soul damage to you, then in the end, you're going to be also then paying for the soul damage. And I guess you're damaging someone else's soul. And you're damaging someone else's soul, too. So, look, for instance, if I enter a, a, an interaction sexually with another person because of an addiction, but I know there is no love in this interaction, it's just a sexual interaction, then I am damaging my own soul while I'm working through the addiction. You know, no, yeah, you're right. Where I think I was thinking more about things like sexual projection and when yeah. people are, like, entering sort of quasi-sexual interactions, they're not actually having sex, but... you to recognise the sexual interplay that goes on in your everyday life can be quite powerful. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely. So, so in other words, face up to the fact that I'm attracted to five women today, what actually happened, go home and talk to your wife about it, let the emotions come up, and you'll work through lots of issues. Do you know what I mean? Face up to the fact that you did have this attraction. But you don't have to act on your attractions. It's a bit like... Many of you, as you go through your emotions of anger, will feel like murdering someone. You will. I can guarantee you, you will. Right? Don't do it. <laughs> and if you relate it the same way to the sexual things, many of you will feel like having sex with this person, that person, this person. Right? Don't, you don't have to do it. You can actually look at it, look at the emotions that are going on within yourself without actually doing it. Like, don't deny the desire. Don't That's deny I mean. the desire. Yeah, yeah, don't deny the desire. Because you deny the desire, you're never going to find out the answer of what's going on inside of you emotionally. But if you act on the desire, 
you are in the potential region of harming yourself if you're acting out of harmony with love. When you're acting in harmony with love, then you are going to benefit yourself. So let's say you sit down with a guy and you say, I want to have sex with you, but I know. You can actually have these discussions, you know. You're allowed to say things like this to people. Like, I do want to have sex with you, but, but I know that I don't really love you. And I've learned that actually if I enter this transaction with you, I'm going to feel really bad about myself afterwards. So, you know, what do you reckon, why are we attracted? <laughs> you know, what's it, what, let him say what he thinks about you and let yourself feel, oh, that's what I'm attracted to. You make me feel really good. You make me feel safe. You make me feel secure. You make me feel like a woman. You make me feel whatever it is. That's why I'm attracted to you. And that means underneath that, that you don't feel safe and you don't feel secure and you don't feel like a woman. Does that make sense? You can identify literally 10 or 15 emotions in one conversation like that if you let yourself deal with it that way. But you don't have to go and have sex with him to identify those emotions. Does that make sense? And by the way, while you're having sex with somebody else, you're not going to be having sex with your soulmate. Trust me. Would you, would you do that? Would you actually have sex with multiple partners? Like, you want to have your soulmate on the side or you want to have this guy on the side? Or, do you know what I mean? In the end, you're going to attract your soulmate, which is the whole goal in the end of having a beautiful partnership. You'll attract your soulmate and you'll have a beautiful sexual relationship with them, but not while you're having a sexual relationship with someone else at the same time. So allow yourself to work through the emotional addictions. Now, if your soulmate has passed, then you can choose, you know, like my feelings, personal, these are my personal feelings now, by the way, not God's feelings. God's feelings are, you can have sex with anyone you want, at any time you want, with whoever you want, right? You can do that. But the proviso is what I just said, that if you do it out of harmony with love, you, there is going to be some soul damage. If you do it in harmony with love, you'll be fine with it. And it will help you work through things. My personal feelings are, I would rather work through things in such a way to leave me in as much of a pristine state as I possibly can so that when I meet my soulmate, it's just going to be a beautiful relationship. That's how I feel. But you don't have to feel that way. You've got free will. <laughs> uh, just wait, if we can wait for the... Oh, sorry, we were going to go to Gary first. Sorry, go on, Gary. I think you um, answered the question, answered it before was about the um, spirit, you know, the spirit influence. Yep. If you if you've got a spirit there and you're sort of blaming him for for um, for setting you up, setting you up or whatever. <laughs> yep. Um, well, that spirit you've attracted him because he's got the same emotional injuries in yes. the first place, eh? Hey? Yes, that's right. So you can't go blaming spirits for setting you up and saying, oh. Yeah, I have sex with five women this week, but it was all the spirit's fault, right? <laughs> he doesn't make you get up and do it, you know what I mean? You'll only attract the spirit who's got the same emotional injury. Exactly, spirit. exactly. The spirit that's going to make you do something else that you don't want to do. Exactly. Remember, the law of attraction operates in order to heighten your emotional condition in order for you to deal with an emotion. That's how the law of attraction works, right? It's there to expose your emotion back to you. So, 20 spirits around would be better than one either. <laughs> right? Because that will heighten your emotional condition even further and you might deal with the underlying cause of emotion. So I don't see spirits as a problem in the interaction. I see spirits as part of the solution to the interaction because the law of attraction is operating perfectly. 
So you, if, a, if a spirit who's in a sexual, like, manipulative condition is attracted to you, it's because you're willing to be manipulated sexually. Right. It's just because of that. There's no other reason. So let yourself feel that. When you feel that and release that, that spirit will say, oh, he's not able to be manipulated sexually anymore. I'll come find someone else. <laughs> because the spirit wants to have the sexual interaction. So he's not going to wait around for a week or two weeks or ten weeks for you to work, for you to change, particularly after you've just released an emotion, which means he can't manipulate you anymore. So he'll just go. Does that make sense? So if spirits are around you and you feel them around you, either leading up to the sex act or even during the sex act, which many people do notice, then it's because of your law of attraction. So let yourself feel what that feels. You might feel shame, guilt, you might feel you know, lots of different emotions, so let yourself feel. So, <coughs> if there's uh, spirits hanging around, if you have the sex with your soulmate, does that, is there, you know, what about that? It's the same, same thing. You've obviously got injuries, or your soulmate's got injuries that have attracted them there, and it's a matter of you feeling those injuries and working through them. Yeah, so if you just have a think, normal sex with your soulmate, it doesn't really matter if there's spirits there or not. I mean, they've got to be there, are they? Or and yes, spirits are going to be around you wherever they can be around you. But obviously they're not going to be attracted to you to get an emotion. See, most of the times they're looking for an emotion. They're looking for a feeling. They're looking for a physical feeling in their spirit body that they can't get where they are. Now, if you don't give it to them, then they're going to go and find someone else who does. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so... You don't need to give it to them. The way that you don't give it to them is by dealing with the emotion that causes the attraction. And you won't be giving it to them anymore. And so they'll feel bored. So they'll see you having sex, right? But they will no longer be emotionally or physically or sexually connected with the act. And so they'll feel much more drawn to go to somebody else who they can be emotionally or sexually connected with the act. And eventually, if every single person on earth was in that state, no spirit would hang around on the earth waiting for a sexual connection because they would just know, oh, it's impossible, I'm not going to get it here. And they would have to deal with the emotion at last. Does that make sense? So that's where we're headed. And that's why a lot of spirits don't like me. Right? Oh, sorry, oh, there was somebody else who was up the back first. I forgot my question. <laughs> oh, sorry. And down the front and then Dennis up the back. I just need a little clarity about the nature of the spirit world. I think I understand that in the spirit world there is sex. Yes. Okay. These spirits that attach themselves to people regarding sexual issues, is that because they are so low that they're still bound to the earth? Yep. Yes. And they don't know they can have this experience in the spirit world. Exactly. Exactly. And they're not in a condition where they can have the sexual experience in the spirit world either. So in other words, they need to grow through and work through some emotions before they can have a valid sexual experience in the spirit world. So rather than doing that, they come back to earth and try to influence and connect somebody. Just like the drunkard who passes into the spirit world comes back to earth and tries to influence people to get drunk so that he can have that feeling. 
But, the, but there, you said there's no, no alcohol allowed in spirit oil? There is no alcohol in spirit oil. But the way that many of them still think they get drunk is by coming back to earth, sitting with a person who's drinking, right. and feeling the emotions through that, spirit, through that uh, silver cord attachment into their spirit body, that feel, and they feel drunk. So I've talked to spirits who have said, I am drunk. But in reality, they've been drunk through that connection. Why can't they have alcohol in the spirit world? Well, there just is no alcohol in the spirit world. Well, why does a drunk want to get drunk all the time? To avoid his emotions. So he just wants to continue to avoid his emotions. So he does that. Yeah. There's no drugs in the spirit world either, by the way. That's, that's why a lot of people who are on drugs on earth have like literally tens or even hundreds of spirits around them wanting that emotion. And that's why many of them find it so hard to give up, because they've just got huge amounts of external influence. If they chose their emotion, they would easily give it up. But each time, it's an avoidance of the emotion, so we go for the addiction. When we go for the addiction, we're surrounded by other people here on earth and in the spirit world who want the same addiction. So if you're addicted to sex, you're going to have a long lineup of people in front of you who you can have sex with, guaranteed. Does that make sense? And spirits will help you tee that up as well. I was talking to one girl. I was talking to one girl. She had seven spirits with her and one man spirit. And the man spirit felt her injury. And her injury was she felt unloved completely. And the only way she felt that she would be loved is if she had a sexual encounter. And this man spirit would set up sexual encounters with men in order for him to get off sexually in the spirit world. Right? And this lady was totally unaware that this is why she had so many sexual encounters. And she had hundreds of sexual encounters. She was very young. Hundreds of sexual encounters, none of them satisfying to her, but the spirit was enjoying himself. So called enjoying himself. Is there food in the spirit world? And there is, but you don't eat it. <laughs> <laughs> When you, when you have sex in the spirit world, is it anything like what we have? No. What's it's, it like? It's more intense. See, most of the experiences in the spirit world are more intense than they are here. Like, for instance, eating. You know, for most of you, most, most of you will realise with your taste buds that they're not actually really taste buds in a way. They're connected to your smell. So if you block your nose while you're eating, you know that it's very, very hard for you to taste something. Agree? In fact, I've done a test on this. There was this guy in England who could tell the difference between 5,000 different types of tea. He could tell you the percentages that were in each type of tea and everything. The doctors told him that it was all due to his smell, and he said, no, it's due to my taste. Anyway, what they did is they blocked his nasal passages up from underneath and also front, and he couldn't tell the difference between tea and coffee. <laughs> just because of his smell. Now in the spirit world, the way you eat is through your smell. But anyway, that's inside. <laughs> sex is sex is similar though, in that the sexual organs that we have in the physical body are just a reflection of some sexual organs that are in the spirit in the spirit body. They don't look the same, but they, they are they have a similar response to a heightened degree. So you, you do have sex in the spirit world, and it is much more intense when you've dealt with your emotions than it is here on Earth. 
in the physical body unless you completely deal with your emotions. Dennis. So it was Dennis was next, wasn't he? Can I ask a question about touch after that? Yeah, sure. <coughs> when I think about <laughs> Um, getting back to the relationship issue, yeah. Um, in a, but not as a, a one-night stand, as in a relationship. Yep. And if you're if you're actually um, having sex and it's not as it should be, not in truth or what, you'll be you'll be hurt by it. So yes. Yes. What about if you're because you're in a, in a relationship, you believe in truth, but because of your trauma, you're still being hurt by it. What is, you know, where do the boundaries stop? You know, is it you say, oh, this is hurting too much, it can't be a, a true relationship? How does that work? Well, the way I look at a relationship is that it's a beautiful way, particularly if it's a loving relationship, it's a beautiful way for you to work through a lot of your emotions, including emotions about sexuality, right? But it's going to require you owning your own emotion at every single moment and living in truth at every single moment about those emotions. So, for example, if you're a male and you're feeling controlled by the woman in the sex act, then if you're honest with yourself, you will stop the sex act and say, look, I feel you're being quite controlling. Right? Now, she might then get angry at you because she's used to controlling you. Right? And then if both of you go underneath those emotions and really look at those emotions, you can work through lots of issues with regard to sexuality and control and what you feel about each other really quite rapidly. And it's a beautiful way of getting closer together. Or you can choose to totally ignore it. You're feeling controlled, but you just like the feeling of having sex, so you ignore the fact that you're feeling controlled. Right? Now, if you do that, that's going to harm you because all you're doing is denying yourself. And you see? Like, so if you act lovingly and you, and you deal with everything lovingly and you deal with everything in truth, a relationship is a perfect place for you to grow spiritually, even if the relationship is not a soulmate relationship. It's a perfect place for you to grow spiritually. And, thanks, Tracy. experiments with babies where um, they put them in certain cribs and then certain babies weren't touched or cuddled and those babies actually severely suffered. So I'm, my question is, is, is touch actually a human need even as an adult? It's not so much the touch that's the need but the love that's the need and the way that we experience love is through touch. So the issue is really that these babies felt unloved unless they were touched. And so often we grow up with the same emotion ourselves. In our own childhood, many of us have not been touched, but been told that we're loved. So we grow up with this terrible feeling inside of ourselves that unless we're touched, we're not loved. And so we look constantly looking for touch. Obviously what we need to do is release the emotion, feel, you know, grieve about not being touched in our childhood. Then you will actually feel a lot more within yourself, like you're secure within yourself and loved, particularly by God. And when you feel that, you won't even feel a need to be touched. Does that make sense? So every single need that we have within us, in the end, will be removed from us 
and in the end everything will become desire and not need. Do you see the difference between need? I've brought this up before, but can you see the difference between need and desire? Need is when I have this, oh, I've got to do, I've got to have that, I've got to have that. If I don't have that, I'm just going to die. That's need, right? Desire is feeling completely harmonious with love within yourself. Feeling like, I'm going to go for that, I really like that. And having this beautiful feeling of love towards that, instead of this terrible feeling of, I'm lacking something in myself. So every single lack within yourself is based on an emotional injury, including every single lack regarding touch and sexuality and so forth. So the key is, allow yourself to confront them. Thank you. Desire is creative. Right. Please. Thanks. So, so actually, uh, desire, desire is your creativity, divine creativity in action. Yes. Yes. The, you know, one, one day we'll have a session just on desire. Desire is such an important thing in your own progression. And, and the reason why most of us have unsatisfactory sex lives is because we don't know how to fully actualize our desire in harmony with love. So oftentimes our desire is very much impacted by disharmonious with love feelings. And that's what causes us to get into so many situations that are damaging to our own soul. One of the keys of your own progression is going to be learning to have a desire harmonious with love every single time. And sex can be like that. And in fact, sex in the one condition of the soul, the soul union state, is like that. You're in a total sexual union all the time, but it's based on desire, not need. So it's a totally different thing, me desiring Mary, than it is me needing Mary. And you can often feel the difference in the relationship, right? When that's happening, can't you? You can feel like, they're needing me, they're needing me. And it feels like claustrophobic, if you allow yourself to feel it. It feels claustrophobic, controlling and manipulative. But if the person has a desire for you that is based totally on love, without need, it feels freeing. It feels totally beautiful, it feels very beautiful. Totally different. So the different emotions, totally different. Kim, you have a question? We're uh, underway again. So. something's happening and being violated and you feel some pain from it, emotional pain or physical, stop, stop there and then. But go in to the pain of it. Go into the emotional pain, dive into the emotional pain of it. So, so a lot of times what we do is because we're having sex and there's part pleasure, part pain for many people because of these sexual injuries, often what we do is we try to grasp the pleasure emotion and try to 
push back the pain emotion. But the irony is that if you allow the pain emotion to come to the fore and be released, what's only left is the pleasure emotion. So just the way I see it is view every single time that that happens where you feel like crying during sex or afterwards, just go straight into it and really let it happen and, and don't worry too much about your partner. In fact, I would say don't worry <laughs> at all about your partner because they need to feel their own emotions of the law of attraction of that anyway. So like if you go, if you're crying afterwards as a woman and your partner's going, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? You know, that, he needs to work through his own emotions about that. He needs to let you cry and let you connect with that emotion causally. So let you connect with that childhood event generally is the way to go. So you're right though, if you just persist and try to push yourself through it, you'll find often that you don't actually get through it because the causal emotion is still there underneath the surface and so the next time you have sex a similar thing happens or a few times a day on the track a similar thing happens. And what we want to do is get away from that. What we want to do is get to the point that every time we have sex it's just a blissful experience. But the only way that's going to happen is if we release the emotion that causes it to not be a blissful experience. I think the, it's a blurred line for me, maybe for others, at what point are we going into emotion? And is our fear of doing that because we're actually aware that we're, we're afraid of re-traumatising? Going into emotion is going there again, you know? Yeah. Whatever the emotion is. So I get confused as to whether I'm just making myself something more or yeah. actually healing that. Yeah. The, the key is they're going to be in the result. So a lot of times we won't know until we've finished feeling the emotion. And the key, the key is that when you feel the, after the emotion has passed, a feeling of peacefulness, and you feel your law of attraction change, then you know you've dealt with an emotion. Oftentimes though, what we're doing is we are in that fear place of trying to choose between, am I going to re-traumatize myself or not? The, the truth is I believe you cannot re-traumatize yourself unless you put yourself through exactly the same experience. So, in other words, if I was raped as a child when I was five, and then, I, then I'm in a sexual encounter with a person, and then I say, stop, and he says, no, no, I ain't stopping, now I'm re-traumatizing myself. Does that make sense? Because now I'm actually in a space where I am getting raped again. But if you say, stop, and he says, no worries, and he stops, go into the emotion and connect with that childhood event which will release it, that's not re-traumatizing yourself. That is actually releasing yourself from that emotion in the end. So allow yourself to experience that. Yes? Does, does your, can your soul actually control the amount of hurt that you can receive at one time? You know, will, it, will it look after you in that way? Automatically. You, you, your soul is totally incapable of harming your body with emotion, aside from when you deny emotion. So in other words, you can't die from experiencing your emotion. You can only die from the denial of the experience of your emotion. Alright? Now that's quite confronting a lot of people. You cannot die from experiencing your emotion. You can only die from the denial of the experience of your emotion. So what's a heart attack? A heart attack is the denial of a heap of sadness which causes the suppression of all this area here across the heart chakra and eventually causes the clogging up of all the arteries in that area and eventually you have a heart attack. 
that's the denial. Of, that's the result of the denial of emotion. But a person who has heart problems, if they start crying, they're not going to harm themselves if they're crying about causal emotion. In fact, what they're going to do is free up the chest area, which actually gets everything operating properly. And all of a sudden, within a day or two, you can find things a lot better. I've found, and I've told this to you before, parts of my body go into like deep pain because of denial of emotion. And then within two days of dealing with emotion, be completely healed again. So if that's the case, you can do that with all parts of your body. What's the difference between a thumb and a and a you know kidney and a you know they all have a replication process of the cell structure, which is all based on your emotional condition. So if you let yourself feel the emotion, you will get into everything possible and heal yourself in the process. controlling is only when you are getting the other person to do what you want for the sake of your own satisfaction. Physical satisfaction. Physical satisfaction or otherwise. Like, um, for instance, you might want a deep soul sex and you're allowed to have deep soul sex. But if the man only wants physical sex, you're of course allowed to say no. Right? You're allowed to do that. There's no harm in that. And um, obviously, if you're like already engaged in the sex act and let yourself work through the issue like what's going on if you're not if you're not like like I feel that there are there are times when I've stopped having sex with Mary in the middle of it because of an emotion that one of us have felt and I've said no I can't do this anymore we've got to do with this emotion now if the emotion is you're not receiving any love from the person and you're just feeling physical body banging against you, then obviously that person's got some issues to work through and you've got some issues to work through with your law of attraction about it. Does that make sense? So so stop the act, work through the issues. Just with um, like, you know, female and male, the differences in arousal? No, so I'm sorry I don't agree with any differences in arousal. Um, one thing I'd like to say to all of you is this difference between male and female differences in arousal is totally dependent upon intergenerational emotions. Do you want to know what I mean by that? The generational emotions are men do not have um, injuries regarding being abused by sex generally. They, have, they were the abusers. So they don't have too many hang-ups about getting aroused they have a lot of problems about treating the woman lovingly, generally. The women have had many, many, intergener in, intergenerationally, every generation of women has generally been quite abused sexually, right? And harmed sexually. And because of that, in many women, there is this deep anger and rage towards men 
understandably so, the key is to not take it out on the man you're with, but to actually deal with it emotionally, to actually release the emotion. When you release the emotion as a woman, your arousal and your orgasm will happen just as fast as any man. No, it's emotional. The reason why it's emotional, most women are not getting a soul connection in sex and they're more sensitive to a soul connection in sex than a man. The reason why is because the men were the abusers and they are less connected to the soul condition than the woman is. So why the woman... So the feeling from the woman... The reason why the woman is finding it so hard to become aroused generally is because of all of these injuries about being abused and about being hurt and wanting a deep soul connection and not getting it, right? And this is where the man needs to work on. The man needs to work on why he doesn't want to give a deep soul connection, why he just feels that sex is a physical act and so forth. When both of them work through those issues, the woman will become aroused just as fast as the man and orgasm just as fast as the man. And have the same libido. That's a bit of a shock for some. Yeah. But it's understandable, isn't it? Like, obviously, in a soul union state, you think about it, there has to be the same amount of emotions going back and forth between the woman and the man. So if that's the case, all of those sexual injuries would have to be healed and we'd have the same response. In the end, in the soul union state, you will have the same response to every stimuli as your soulmate. It doesn't mean you're one person in the sense of physical person, but together you are one being, one entity, in the way you interact with everything. I, I do want to mention, rather than having some more questions, I do want to mention some of more of the law of attraction things under the injuries, because it's important that we relate these later to how to deal with these injuries. Does that make sense? So if there has injuries, we need to firstly recognise what an injury is. And so I want to mention a few more. So can we look at the contraction of sexual diseases? Sexually transmitted diseases are the result of this huge shame in the human race about sex. And so all of the sexually transmitted diseases that are around today all have relationship to sexuality and how we view it emotionally. So if you've contracted a sexual transmitted disease, let yourself feel emotionally what the shame is all about inside of you. Does that make sense? And you will find, when you do that, that you'll be able to actually heal the disease without any form of medication. Now, I'm not saying to you, don't do medication if that's what you want. I'm saying to you, don't ignore the underlying emotion that causes the attraction. Does that make sense? Yeah. With the sexual transmitted disease. Yeah. Um, what's next? Sexual addictions, promiscuity, nymphomania, one night stands, exhibitionism, and masturbation. All right, sexual addictions. I'll put a few down there, right? Sexual addictions are an indication that something is unhealed within us. So, if we're a male and we're addicted to masturbation, so we might have sex two or three times a day with our partner, but on top of that, need to masturbate as well, right? Now, if we've been in that position, and by the way, I have been in that position myself at some point in my history, so when we're in that position, 
what we need to do is look at what the emotion is. Now the emotion inside of me at the time was a deep feeling that I was unloved and, and no amount of sex could cure it. Right? And it was an addiction. And it's a matter of actually working your way through that emotion. Does that make sense? Letting yourself feel about that emotion. If you feel promiscuity, so in other words, you're having plenty of sex with the person you're with, but you've just got to go out and find another one to have sex with, then there's something going on emotionally. Let yourself feel that. That's the law of attraction. Let yourself feel that. Right? What is going on emotionally? What causes me to do that? With, like, nymphomania, never being satisfied with sex and constantly wanting sex as a result. Often that is a combination of our own emotions of being unloved, this terrible feeling of a lack of love inside of ourselves, added to some attractions with some spirits that just cause us to keep going and going and going and going sexually, never feeling satisfied. So allow yourself to feel what the law of attraction is bringing you. There is something unhealed inside sexually. Does that make sense? Let yourself feel them. What's next? Unloving sexual practices to obtain arousal. Mm. So, so what do we need to do to get aroused? Now, for many of us, there's this really common viewpoint today of it doesn't matter what happens inside of your head. Right? That, by the way, is not God's viewpoint. But it is a viewpoint of man. So in other words, with sex, a lot of times... Like, we're having sex with one person, but we're thinking about the other person that we'd really like to be having sex with, right? And that's the only thing that it makes us get aroused. What, what are we ignoring? Well, firstly, we're not love, are we? We're not being love at that point, right? We're ignoring some major emotional issues with the person that we're with. We're skipping over all of that. And we're ignoring the fact that we want to be with someone who we're not with and heaps of grief-based emotions about that. We're ignoring quite a lot when we think about it. Does that make sense? Now, some of you are starting to feel really judged here. You notice that feeling? Right? You're feeling like, oh my God, like, like this is getting restricting, more restricting, more restricting, more restricting, more restricting. More restricting. Can you feel that feeling? Right? Some of you are feeling that feeling, right? Well, Go with that feeling. <laughs> Let yourself feel that feeling. I'm just telling you the truth about sex from God's perspective. I'm not saying judging you and I'm not feeling saying you can't keep doing what you're currently doing. But if it's unloving, it will cause you damage. That's all I'm saying. Now, things like threesomes, for example, where you have uh, two males, one female, or two females, one male, where one person is being looked after, two people may not, or there's this... Uh, where there's a dominant role in the relationship. All of those have to do with emotional injuries too. Right? They all have to do with what's going on inside of our soul. So let ourselves connect with that. In the end, remember the pristine condition is, here's me, here's my soulmate. I'm going to connect with my soulmate and it's going to be beautiful. Why would I want any other connection? Well, because of emotional injuries, that's the only reason why I'd want another connection. So allow yourself to experiment with the emotional injuries. So if you're in a threesome, what is happening? Like, what's going on inside of yourself? What's the feeling? Why are you doing it? 
Is it making you feel powerful? So if it's two men with one woman is it, if, and you're the woman, is it making you feel powerful? Is that why you're in this transaction? Because you want to be sexually powerful, which means that you feel that you're not. Right? What emotions am I avoiding in these situations? Allow yourself to feel about them. Many times we use sex to punish, don't we? Or control. So we use sex like, there's this, often this feeling of like, I'm going to have sex with you, but only if you give me something. It's a feeling. It's not a, something you maybe say. Does that make sense? So let yourself feel the feeling. Let yourself feel the feelings and work your way through the issue emotionally. Let yourself do that. Does that make sense to everyone? Yeah. yeah. So just a clarification, Major. Yeah. Are you saying that all, I'll ask you, all masturbation is um, in error? No, not at all. If you can't touch yourself, then why would anybody else be allowed to touch you? It's just if it's no, if it's driven by an emotional injury. Remember, everything can be good in itself. If it's driven by emotional injury, it can't, it's not. Most of these practices are driven by emotional injuries. So if I'm, having a, if I'm in so-called fulfilling relationship with a person and I'm still masturbating, then look at what's the driving force. Obviously, the relationship isn't as fulfilling as what I think it is. There must be something in the relationship that I need to work through to, to work through that issue. Does that make sense? And I'm not saying st stop masturbating. You're allowed to touch yourself as much as you want, right? What I'm saying is deal with the underlying emotional injury that causes the addiction to it. And then see whether you still want to masturbate as much. Right? Then allow it based on desire, not based on need. For like teenagers to start masturbation as a natural part of life? Certainly. It's a natural thing for a little child of five to start it. Certainly. There's no no the problem is that what we do with sexuality is when our little children of three, four or five are playing with themselves, what do we do? We start going down the track of, oh don't do that in public, or you know, and we start getting ashamed of ourselves as parents and we get triggered. Right? and we're imposing all of these emotions of shame onto our children, and so they're learning to shut down their sexual identity. The truth is they're allowed to play with themselves as much as they like. It doesn't matter if all of you are triggered. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So if a little child's in the audience playing with itself and all of you are triggered, well, that's your own emotional stuff. We need to work our way through it and deal with it, not, not dump it on the child, because when we dump it on the child, what happens? The child grows up, does exactly the same thing, doesn't connect to themselves sexually, is disconnected from God as well. So there's no harm in all of that, none whatsoever. There's no harm in sexual play between, between children if it's not done out of, you know, most of the time nowadays it's done reflecting parents' emotions, you know. And if it wasn't, if there wasn't the reflection of parents' emotions, that's what we talked about in the parenting discussion, it would be so much better and we, they could be allowed to develop themselves sexually, they wouldn't have any shame about it, no guilt about it. There's no, no reason why a child can't begin a soulmate sexual relationship by the time they're 10, is there, really? Really? Like, 
if, if a child can be at one with God by the time they're 10, surely a child can also have a sexual relationship with their soulmate by the time they're 10. So why, why do you think differently? Because we're conditioned that, oh no, that's wrong, it's not right, they're not yet... Do you know what I mean? We're conditioned to all these things and that's what causes the damage. So can you see how, on one hand, I'm being quite firm about the morals, but on the other hand, how there's a lot of so-called morals that we have imposed upon us that are just not in harmony with love at all. Can I just ask another quick question? Yeah. Not to do with this, I hope it's still on topic. Um, I've got a bit of judgment myself personally on um, um, sex toys yep. and stuff like that. Yep. And so is that because I've got an emotion behind that or um, the other part of me just says that if I need to have that then um, it's going out of the natural part of sexual enjoyment? Uh, good question. Um, here's our soul. We have what type of? So, how do we know the difference between truth and error? That's really what we're saying in the end, isn't it, with a lot of these questions. Well, yeah, is it harmonious with love? Right. right, so if I'm using a sex toy in a way that's disharmonious with love, then obviously it's not going to be to my soul's benefit. But if I'm using a sex toy that's harmonious with love, then it's going to be to my soul's benefit. Now, when we say harmonious with love, harmonious with love of what? Love of the person, their body, love of the environment, love of... Like, there's a lot of loves to consider in this, isn't there? Not just the sexual love. Right? So, so I don't know. I, I don't know how comfortable you'd feel about replacing batteries that go into landfill every day into a vibrator. Do you know what I mean? There is an issue not to do with the vibrator itself there, but to do with the power source and whether it's harmonious with love. Do you know what I mean by that? Can you see how we would actually have to weigh up those things and just ask ourselves those questions? But in the end, what's the difference like of inserting a finger or a vibrator or, or a penis or anything into a person's vagina? What's the, what's the difference in the end? If it's done out of harmony with love, it's going to be damaging. If it's done with love, how's it going to be then? Surely it'd be fine, wouldn't it? So allow yourselves to work through those issues emotionally. You can ask yourself with everything the question, is this loving? Is this not loving? Is this loving? Is this not loving? Quite easily, yes. And oftentimes you'll know the answer if you just listen to yourself. Yeah. So if I have a bit of a fear of it, then obviously is fear love. No, is it? Is fear love? No. So if I'm afraid of a vibrator, then I've got some emotional issue. <laughs> Agreed? Can you see that? And I can work through that emotional issue, can't I? And maybe one way to work through it is go and buy a vibrator and, <laughs> and work out why you're so afraid of the thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're all laughing, but it's very serious. I'm serious. <laughs> Do 
Do you know what I mean? Like, a lot of times this is what we do. How many of you ladies are afraid of porn? Right? Quite a few there will be generally. Why? Angry. Okay, so feel the feeling. What, look at some porn, feel the feeling of anger, and let yourself connect to what it's about. And you'll connect to exploitation of women, and you'll connect to lots of different emotions that you feel within yourself, and then you won't feel drawn to watch porn, but you won't feel drawn either to be afraid of it. You won't be angry with it either. Do you know what I mean? And when you're not angry with it or afraid of it, it loses its power in your life, and therefore has no, will have no bearing on your life after that. Yeah, because when we're repulsed and angry and afraid of porn, it actually affects our own sexual response. Because there's a lot of emotions in there about men and about you know, who we are as women and how we've been treated. So when we're in the sex act, it, it, those emotions come into bed with us. So, so, I'm not suggesting we should go out and buy porn, am I? What I'm saying is, anything you're afraid of needs to be confronted. Anything you're angry about needs to be confronted. Because that's all just covering emotions inside of ourselves. So, this is a really good thing to do with sex. Start experimenting with what you're angry about, what you're afraid of, and let yourself trigger it. So, how many, how many of us feel afraid of Oral sex, for example, right? Or afraid, like there's all different types of sex that we can engage in as a couple, right? Whether we're a male-male couple, or a female-female couple, or an actual male-female couple, there's all sorts of different sex acts you can engage in. Are you afraid of any of them? If you're afraid of them, then look at what's going on there because it's something that needs to be looked at seriously. If you have fear or anger, it's just covering deeper emotions. So let yourself deal with those deeper emotions. Let yourself feel about those deeper emotions. Let yourself work through it in a loving environment. So if you're afraid of oral sex, get together with a person who's loving you and caring about you and that you love them and care about them and experiment with oral sex. Like let yourself feel the emotions that you go through with that. What's actually happening inside of me? How do I feel? It feels uncomfortable. I feel like I'm the focus of attention. I feel like I'm this. I feel like a, this is all uncomfortable. Down there doesn't smell very nice. You know? <laughs> and you just, you know, you'll be able to work through all of these things, right? <laughs> That's not what Mary feels like. <laughs> is that with oral sex, you'll absolutely enjoy the whole process. You will. Right? When you work through all of your fears and all your anxieties and all your other things, you will eventually come up with actually like what is real. And that is this, just this giving and receiving of love that's happening between you. And the same goes with the sex act. The same goes with orgasm. Like, there's so many ways for a woman to orgasm, for example, and the majority of them are not even recognised by people on earth today because the majority of times there's so many emotions locked up in that region of the body. You know, 
with regard to anger with men, anger with their own body, shame about their own body, so forth. How many of you ladies feel ashamed of your own body? Like how many? Quite a few probably will, right? How many of you feel ashamed, don't like men, a man's body? Like how many of you don't like a man's body, right? Some. How many of you feel absolutely angry with men about sex? Like how set men have you know, taken control of the world, it seems, and also taken control of your body. How many of you feel that? Let yourself go through all those emotions and experiences in a loving sexual environment. And you'll release a lot of emotions that cause you to be closer to God. Jen? Um, are you going to tell me a story? No. What are you going to do? Can um, I ask a question? Yes. Um, I feel like I have been made love to all my life and I'm the passive recipient of sexual advances. Yep. Many women would feel this, right? In my law of attraction with Graham, Graham is... Can you hear me saying that loud, Graham? shut down and doesn't make those attractions to me. Yep. So in our sexual relationship, um, he's not doing, I'm not the passive recipient, which is profoundly uncomfortable because I've only ever been that way. Yep. And he wants me to come outside of myself to ignite the passion in him. Yep. That's our law of attraction. I have my question is, how do you unlearn these lifelong trappings for one of the way of Yeah. Well firstly both of you obviously have opposite injuries. This often happens in soulmate relationship where you get together with your soulmate and you work out actually you have totally opposite injuries. In other words your injuries aren't compatible. So you don't get along good with these injuries because they're not compatible with Especially each other. Especially when it comes to sex. Especially with sex in this case. This is a beautiful thing to help trigger each of your emotions. Does that make sense? Otherwise you'll just finish up having no sex. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't feel very good, does it? No, I'm no. to leave. So yeah, so so instead deal with your don't worry about Graham's emotions, deal with your emotions about why you do not want to give and why you expect the man to give to you. What I'm saying to you is that I feel like I've been trained. I know you've been trained, but there's an emotion. There's an emotion underneath it. It's an emotion of anger with men, an emotion of, there's, there's quite a few emotions underneath it for yourself. If you deal with that emotion, you will trigger his emotion. Is it a childhood Yes. No, it's from your abuse. It's from your abuse, darling. Oh. Yeah. It's very hard to get... You understand... I understand the event. I'm owning the event. It's very, very hard as a child to get below the event to, you know... How do you feel when the man doesn't give to you and you have to give to the man? How do you feel? I absolutely furious. Okay. The fury covers over the deeper emotion. 
So go outside, get a punching bag, go outside, express your fury. Why are you furious? And you'll connect very rapidly to what it's about. You know, already know what it's about. Why are you furious? It's it's grief. It's like being over, overcome, suffocating, and not not being able to exist. I feel like I'm non-existent. So it's about it's about sexual rejection, isn't it? Is it? What's the feeling? The feeling itself. So it's grief. See, this is the difficulty. So much pain. Yeah, we'll talk about this the next time we talk about sex a lot because we want to talk about how to deal with these emotional injuries. But you identified firstly you feel fury. Go into that fury. Not with Graham, because he's not the cause of it. Most of the time, which makes me even more angry. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, no, if he was if he was an absolute shit, you'd blame him and you'd feel totally comfortable doing it. That's the problem. Is that is that in the end you do want to blame him. This is why you're in fury, right? Let yourself feel your fury, go out and really express it. But understand that underneath the fury, like you identified, is this terrible, terrible, deep grief that you do not want to feel. And when you choose to feel it, this fury won't happen anymore, and you'll feel that grief. And when you feel that grief, you'll also then feel, oh, wow, I'm allowed to express myself sexually. And you might also have to deal with, of course, some shame and other emotions as well, based on the abuse. But when you feel those emotions, you'll be able to express yourself sexually and not expect the man to do it for you. But at the moment, there's a very, very strong expectation in you that the man does it all, and you just lay back and enjoy it, right? And but he you has get... the same thing. He has so, the same. He expects me to do it all. So I'm. He never asked. He never asked the question. You asked the question. <laughs> for you. The answer for you is get out of this. Like, does he get furious with you? If he does, he doesn't show you. Okay. <laughs> Your fury is capping deeper emotions that you do not want to feel. And I agree, Graham's got some other issues that he needs to allow himself to deal with. Thank you. Of course I said that in the beginning that you didn't even hear. I said, let's concentrate on your issue. You're the one asking the question. Right? You can't change Graham no matter how much you want to. But you want to. Yes. And that's why you... <laughs> so you can avoid your emotion, Jen. Yes. But I'm admitting it, okay? Yeah, that's great. That's great you're admitting it. I don't own it and I sit here in the corner and I don't speak up, then I'm not, I'm not trying to push, push through, okay? Yeah, no, it's great that you're admitting it, Jen. It's great you're admitting that you want him to change. But that, de <laughs> that desire for him to change means that you can get away with not changing. 
And that's really what you want too. You he's want to... doing the same thing too. Oh, I don't care what he's doing, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Honestly. You don't want to change, so you get furious because you want the other person to change. <coughs> Anger is often because you do not want to change yourself and you want to change the other person, right? It's to do with expectations that are unloving, right? So use the relationship now. I know I'm being unloving. I am just furious with Graham for not clearing me up, right? Right? And doing exactly what I want and making me feel good and me just lie there and enjoy it, right? Can I borrow your red band, please? <laughs> So, so that's how you feel. Admit that. Admit that. You've admitted it. Now go into what's going on emotionally as to why you're so angry. Right? And you'll find it's a lot to do with you want now to control men to do it your way, do it when you want it, how you want it, and it's to do with those emotions that you need to release. When you release those emotions, the irony is, is whether he wants to or not, he'll probably finish up getting triggered and dealing with some of his emotions. See, the reality is I feel that I can't feel sexually whole unless he participates. Th that, but that's an error. The, reali that, the reality is that's an error. At this point, I don't see that. I know. Well, Jen, if you didn't know your soulmate, you can still reach at, at one moment with God, can't you? Yes. Yeah. And to reach at one moment with God, we have to fully accept and embrace our own sexuality and sexual identity. Is that not true? So, in your relationship with God, and to release the emotions, that's all you have to focus on. <laughs> well, the reason why it's not simple, it's not simple. The reason why it's not easy, we should say, it is simple, but it's not easy. The reason why it's not easy is because I'm so addicted, in your case, you're so addicted to getting the man to do what you want that you don't want to give that up. Right? And that's why you're furious. Because you don't want to give that up. And admit to yourself, I don't want to give that up. Graham, you've got to do exactly what I want. When I want, just pleasure me whenever I want. Allow, allow yourself to feel that, right? Allow yourself to feel that. And then go into that emotionally and you'll find there's a lot of rage and anger with men in there. And there's a lot of rage and anger with your dad in there that you need to let yourself express and experience. And this is a beautiful relationship. Like Graham is not being pushed around by you, which is really good, actually. Because that triggers this emotion. <laughs> that triggers this emotion, doesn't it? I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah. You asked the question. <laughs> oh, that's an injury, Jen. <laughs> Is she blokey? Yeah, no, I'll let her say, say what she wants. Well, all of us women who find it hard to hear truth from AJ, we all have man injuries. <laughs> Speaking from experience. And by the way, I didn't remotely control that. <laughs>
But honestly, um, if, if I have issues with women, and I'm a male, whatever those issues are, I am going to continue to feel those until I let them be triggered. And so, for Graham, yes, yes, he does have some issues with women controlling him in the past. Because there are some issues with his mum controlling him in terms of emotionally controlling him and causing these sexual injuries, yes. But, but if you want to progress towards God, it's immaterial what he's doing. What's, what matters he's is... You can be a one with God without him, honestly. But do I want to? Well, if you don't want to, then there's something wrong with your desire. How, how can you, like, embrace all the wonderful things that you're talking about today yeah. and then accept the reality that you're not going to go there and find your soulmate? For me, that's like walking the path to hell. It's yeah. like, it's hellish, really. But Jen, you've got an emotion about needing to have a man, needing to have a partner. Is that true? Remember what he said about the difference between need and desire? You can't live without one. If you could live without well, one, you, would, you wouldn't get into fury every time I you have. do it. I have lived without no, one. No, I know you have, but you get into fury every time. It's just with Graham. <laughs> <laughs> you can be at one with God without Graham. So you can heal all of your sexual injuries without Graham. And also, one injury you'll need to heal is this terrible neediness you have of Graham. Right? And it's not loving. It's not love that's based on another emotion. So look at what it gives you. When he does exactly what you want, how do you feel? But he doesn't do what I want. That's <laughs> <laughs> You're just saying sexually he doesn't do what you want. Honestly, if you look That's at... That's all I was talking about. Yeah. In all these other different areas, he does plenty of what you want, right? And so you need to look at what emotion is being triggered in you that causes you to feel the way you feel about this sexual interaction. Because it's to do with a sexual injury. And my recommendation to Graham is, don't touch a man. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> of I'm joking, jeez. Uh, what I'm saying is that... No, you're not. I am joking. I am joking. Jen, the irony is that the minute you deal with this emotion, Graham will feel more compelled to touch you. Yes. And this emotion is a very controlling of men emotion. And that's why he's not compelled to touch you. Now, I can talk about with Graham, if he asks the question... From his perspective, yeah, what his emotion? Sorry. See now that's anger. That's a lot of anger coming from him. Yes. So now you need to do it. He perhaps doesn't want to expose his own sexual life like you do. So you need to also look at that. Why is that? Why do you want to pressure him into doing what you're doing? That's not love, Jen. So if it's not love, look at what's underneath that. What's the emotion? What's driving me to do that? To force another person against their own free will. What's doing it? And particularly to force my own soulmate against his free will. That's not love. Now, perhaps he's feeling that, hey, this isn't loving. I don't know if I can do this if this is not loving. Perhaps that's what he's feeling. And you need to consider that. Does that make sense? Let yourself work through that.
Now, it's already 20 to 6. Um, I think what we'll do is tomorrow's discussion is going to be all questions and answers, right? About this subject, about the subject of sex and sexuality. So what I'd like to do is perhaps what we'll finish, we'll finish off here today and we'll try and raise some of the issues perhaps that we haven't covered in this outline tomorrow as well, but primarily deal with any questions that you have about the subject of sex and sexuality. And we'll start looking at injury-based things that are going on as well. Anna, you want to... Have you got any more handouts? Um, I printed out a hundred, but there must be more than a hundred people here, so I might print out a few more. Yeah. Um, so what, what we'll do is, uh, is that'll be tomorrow's discussion. And um, so if you're too uncomfortable to bring it up publicly and you want to write it anonymously, please do that as well. And I'll look at those as well and bring them up during our discussion tomorrow. But thanks for your time today. Thank you.